Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. To another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. Time for a movie deep dive with uh, actor, comedian Mike Pusateri. This time, the movie is the 1985 classic, Fletch. So, Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing better than Jake Arrieta is tonight. Uh, I hope you are as well. <laughs> So as always, folks, you can uh, subscribe to the Pointless Exercise podcast uh, at the um, uh, easiest way is just to go to discipio.com and you can find it right there. And you can also sign up for the Pointless Exercise newsletter at PointlessExercise.com. And Mike, how can, they, uh, how can the good people uh, find you? The good, the good people of Earth can uh, find me uh, on the, uh, the Twitters at, uh, at Mike Pusateri and... Uh, and the website, which is simply my name, MikePusateri.com. And as always, the Pointless Exercise podcast is presented by Manscaped. There we go. Summer's coming. Are you ready to unveil your beach bod? You're in luck. Our friends at Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation performance package, which includes the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Complement your dad bod or six-pack with a trim from the leaders in male grooming. The sun is shining and calling your name, fellas. Join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for a hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code DIVE. DIVE. DIVE, as in movie deep dive. There we go. Uh, once again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code dive at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code dive at manscaped.com. Escape the shrubs and weeds this summer and shine with manscaped. I think we should just pause for three minutes and let everybody go to manscaped and make their order and then come back. Okay. And we can just go to manscaped.com. You can get, uh, they're sending us new stuff. So, uh, next time we'll have, we'll be able to tell you about all kinds of new, uh, 
lotions and creams and nose trimmers or something. I don't know what, is what they're sending us. Nice. Um, but I don't wear uh, boxer briefs, but I would do wear the Manscaped ones that they sent me. Actually, I, I, like, I like those. I, I do. I do. And I, and I do. We know young Kyle went right out and bought some more. So you can go buy those. Um, there's all kinds of stuff. Don't forget the code like young Kyle did. Yeah. Make, sure you, make sure you put in dive. Yeah, he was such a big supporter of Manscaped. He wanted to pay the extra 20% and pay for shipping. <laughs> he pays extra on his taxes, too. He's that, he's that kind of guy. Yep. Yes. All right. So Fletch. Yes. Um, this movie came out when I was an impressionable youth. And uh, I loved it immediately. And I think it's probably the movie that I've seen the most of any movie in my lifetime, uh, for good or bad, to the point where I find myself saying things from the movie in everyday conversation. <laughs> well, what, what's your big go-to, or do, are you saving that? Oh, it's probably that Petter-ass Tannerhan. I'm surprised <laughs> how often you can work that in. Yeah. For me, it was, it's all ball bearings nowadays. Yeah, it's all ball bearings these days. That's a big one. Yeah. Um, thank you very little. Actually, I said that in Caddyshack, too, I think. Yeah. Um, Use an old fish doc? Well, and I love that doctor. Oh, he's great. Not only the great M. Emmett Walsh, but, you know, the name of the doctor. He's, yes. He's playing Dr. Dolan. Gotta love that. So, there you go. See, that would have been pretty cool as a kid. You see saw a, a movie character with your last name. Yeah. That's probably why I liked it so much. Yeah. Um, I yeah, watched but, every every Italian movie. There's no Pusateri character. I don't know that I've been to a funeral where, with my brother where one of us hasn't been. It's a shame about Ed. <laughs> it goes so <laughs> sudden like that. Oh, he was dying for years. Dying for years. Yeah, but the end. The end was just very, very sudden. He was in intensive care for eight weeks. <laughs> the very end when he when he died. Very sudden. <laughs> uh, all right, but we'll get to all that. Yes, we will. So. Um, Fletch was written by Andrew Bergman. And um, do you know other things Andrew Bergman may have written? See, I'm gonna, I was going to say I'm going to fail these quizzes because I, I feel like I am definitely a, a float in the Fletch parade, and, and you were leading us right. down well, uh, Fifth Avenue. Andrew Bergman wrote some pretty good stuff. Um, I'm gonna, there, he wrote a script that when it was made into a movie, they changed the name. See if you can guess what it was. The movie, the script he wrote, which ends up being his most famous movie, his name was Ted X. Ted X. Ted X. Ted. You're never going to get it because I don't think anybody thinks, I'm pretty sure everybody thinks Mel Brooks wrote it. Uh, Because I think, actually, because I know Mel and Richard Pryor rewrote, rewrote big chunks of it. Oh, oh, Blazing Saddles? Blazing Saddles. Andrew oh, my. Wrote really? the original script for Blazing Saddles. How do I not know this? He also wrote another great movie, The In-Laws. Oh, I love The In-Laws. Yes. Peter Falk, Alan Arkin, come on. He wrote The Freshman. Great movie. Uh, Little Big Man. League. Okay. And Striptease. To me, more. Fine and, movie as well. And he wrote Fletch. Wow. Uh, do, you know who, do you know who directed the movie? Was it Fred the Dorf Dorfman? It was not. It should have been. Uh, <laughs> this guy also directed The Bad News Bears, oh. The Scout, and The Candidate. Six foot seven, from Wisconsin, 
as was Michael uh, as Andrew Bergman. I don't think he was six seven. Michael Ritchie. Michael Ritchie. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Budget for the movie was eight million dollars. It grossed fifty nine million dollars. That's a lot of money in 1985, kids. I know. Especially since it, it was a summer movie. Yep. Other movies that summer included a little movie that you may have heard of called Back to the Future. Back to the Future. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Yep. Um, so, yeah. So, making $59 million off an $8 million budget is pretty good. That was a pretty good, uh, pretty good mo- summer movie, uh, 1985. Season. And it was one of the first movies to make significant money in video rentals. Probably because dopes like me were renting it and watching it over and over again. It made $24 million in video rentals. So block, kept Blockbuster uh, going. Um, the movie was rejected by basically every studio. They, went, they took a second round. They changed the name of the, uh, of the script they were pitching. Although mm-hmm. I'm sure once you open it, you're like, well, this is Fletch. I already read this once. Because <laughs> um, now it was a secret because it had been a successful book. Uh, it took a second round, but this time uh, it had a uh, benefactor, Michael Douglas, convinced Universal that they should make it, and so they did. Why? He liked it. He had okay. read it, I'm sure, for his production company or whatever, and said, it's pretty good. You should make hmm. this movie, and they made it. Uh, during an earlier, years before when they had kicked around the idea of making a movie of Fletch, Michael Douglas was one of the people that they considered to be Fletch. Okay. Um, the author of the book series, there's nine Fletch books. This is a guy named Gregory McDonald. Can we pause right there? I can't imagine many people listening to, know, to this know that there are nine Fletch books. There are nine, I've, and I have read the first four. You, you, even, you haven't read all nine. No, but I'm working through them. I just bought them all. Okay. <laughs> I got them all on uh, eBay, I believe, for $30. Wow. Look I got that. all nine. And Hard. I'm reading them in the order they were published. Okay. It's like, uh, what order are you supposed to w- watch the Star Wars movies in? Oh, right. There's, uh, you can also, the books do not go in chronological order. Mm. Um, in fact, the book that I just finished, uh, Fletch and the Widow Bradley, is the earliest, is the youngest Fletch that you can read. Okay. He's, he's very early at his time with the newspaper. Actually, okay. maybe Fletch, there's another one, Fletch 1, W-O-N. That, they might even go back farther than that. But there's, so that you can either read them in chronological order, or you can read them in the order they were published. I'm reading them in the order they were published. When does he become Jane Doe? Is that in the first Fletch, or does that take a Fletch or two? Uh, he does not. That is a, that's a weird creation for the, um, uh, for, the, for movie? the movie. Ah. As is Larry. Oh, really? Yes. Larry's a creation. To Larry, is a, Larry is not um, in the books. Gina Davis, the great Gina Davis, yes. plays Larry. Um, so Gregory and I had written these books. They were hits. They're all relatively short. They're all under 300 pages, and they're written. They're very, you can read them very quickly. Uh, he explained his approach to the book, saying that they're set in places you know. I don't need to waste Lots of pages describing places that you know. I will just I like tell it. you, this is happening in Los Angeles. Here's the shit that's actually happening. <laughs> I like and that. so, and there's a lot of dialogue. And you do, so you zip right through the books. Um, nice. And at the end of the movie, I'll talk about the differences um, between Fletch the book and Fletch the movie. Um, but, so Gregory McDonald had um, 
as part of the movie rights, when he sold the movie rights, he had the right to veto casting choices. Mm. And so Chevy was the third person that he was presented to be Fletch. The first, Michael Douglas was the one no, of the first. That was, even, that was long before they'd even ever, that was just a name they had kicked around. They never gotten to the point where they were seriously considering. Okay. Um, so one of these guys is not really an actor, although he's been in movies. The other guy was in 1985, still probably the biggest, the most bankable actor in Hollywood. I think so by 1985, he was. But completely wrong for the part. So he was right to turn him down. They were Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger, really? Okay. And Burt Reynolds. Oh, you know, Burt would have been interesting. I I do love Burt. Yeah. He would have just had to have been, wouldn't he just had to have been the bandit? (laughs) Isn't that what you'd have gotten without the cowboy hat? He'd have been the the kind of the smirking smartass. I'm glad Gregory McDonald turned him down. Yeah. With Jerry Reed as the newspaper editor. Yep. That could be our new thing at the end with the Trey Wilson thing. Who would Jerry Reed have played? Um, <laughs> Chevy's agent originally turned the role down for Chevy. Say that they was right for him. They made a second offer and Chevy accepted. And then Michael Ritchie said, how can we turn it down the first time? And Chevy said, we did what? <laughs> right. So, Why did he turn it down? Do we know? He thought it, he thought it would suck. I don't know. Chevy said it's the favorite of the movies he's made, and he feels like it's the best he's ever been in a movie. And I, I think probably, he's probably, I, I, probably I, I right. Probably agree. I probably agree. I, you know, I might, uh, I would put him up, you know, Caddyshack, mm-hmm. and seems like old times is another great Chevy movie. Yeah. Yeah. At the end, but I want to, I want to talk about this phase of Chevy's career. Do people, I, I, you know, we're old, me in particular. But do people understand Chevy Chase, you know, in that time frame, late 70s, early 80s, there was no, I mean, there was no bigger star than, than Chevy Chase. Yeah, I mean, he, he was. He had just made incredible. vacation two yeah. years before and had just gotten out of rehab. But back then, that's what they did. They made a movie, went to rehab, got out of rehab, made another movie, went back to rehab. That's vacation. Michael Ritchie shot two, take, two takes of every scene, one in which they followed the script and then the second one, in which they just let Chevy go nuts. And he said it's pretty much a balance between the two. Nice. Um, so Chevy made up some of the fake names on the spot, including, okay. including Ted Nugent, which required <laughs> them then to remember that at the end because um, Tim Matheson refers to him as Mr. Nugent in the final <laughs> scene. So they had to remember right. that he, they, which one they were going to use. Um, the music is, is pretty iconic. Yes. Uh, it's very eighties. It's so eighties. It's so easy. That's, you know, we've done some other eighties comedies, major league, and this has a comedy soundtrack. Mm -hmm. This is not like major league where they're, you know, singing about, you know, Cleveland on fire or whatever that song's about. So the music was done by Harold Faltermeyer and Harold won Grammys for two other movies, Beverly Hills Cop and mm-hmm. Top Gun. Mm. This has very Beverly Hills Cop-esque music. Absolutely. Very Beverly Hills Cop vibes to the music. But he was a late addition to the movie. In fact, he was such a late addition to the movie that the original movie posters still had Tom Scott listed as the guy who was going to be doing the music. Hmm. 
Interesting. As I remember from, well, I was mentioned to you that, I, that I've seen this movie a million times, but I hadn't seen it from beginning to end in a long time. Right. Because it's not a movie I'm like, well, I'm going to watch Fletch tonight. It's a movie that yeah. I'm flipping around and Fletch is on and I just watch. Mm-hmm. And um, realize that somewhere in the re- recesses of my brain, I know every word to the Stephanie Mills song bit by bit. <laughs> I also know all the words to the song Fletch Get Out of Town. The one they play when he's uh when they when uh, Jim Bob Walton is stealing the car. Right. And he hops in with him. I realize I because I've seen the movie so much, I know both of those songs. I had always assumed because she actually mentions Fletch. Both in both songs they mention Fletch in the lyrics. And I just assumed they took a song that Stephanie Mills had sung and in, inserted it. That's not true. Um, Harold Faltermeyer and Fanny Gold wrote the song for the movie. Okay. And then get out, Fletch Get Out of Town was obviously written for the movie, and that's written by a guy named Dan Hartman and Charlie Midnight. Because, of course, it had to be written by a guy named Charlie Midnight. Great name. Great name. So the, the interesting thing about the way the movie opens is, what do you see for like the first two minutes of the movie? You see nothing. It's a black screen with the credits. You're just supposed to sit there and listen to the song. That's right. Yeah. That's a lot of faith in that song. Yeah. Uh, but you do get to then, um, you could, it forces you to concentrate on the, uh, all of the that guys that you see listed in the cast, like M. Emmett Walsh playing Dr. Dolan. Yep. Joe Don yep. Baker. The uh, Whammer. The Whammer. The Whammer. Kenneth Mars. Yeah. Probably best known from uh, Young Frankenstein. I would think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When he lights his hand on fire. So, yeah, so they had the opens bit by bit with credits over black. Well, let us, let us not forget uh, William Sanderson. Yes. Who plays E.B. E. B. Farnham for yes. uh, fans of the show Deadwood. Well, he also, he's Larry of Larry, Larry. Larry Daryl, and Daryl. That's right. Yes. Exactly. Um, yeah. So basically, they just expect you to sit and listen to the song, which has Fletch in it. Yeah, so the movie opens with uh, uh, Fletch dressed like a bum on the beach, although mm-hmm. we realize during the movie, basically dressed the way Fletch dresses. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty simple. All the time. There's a very faded Magic Johnson jersey and a sweatshirt. Kareem was in the wash, as he tells Larry later. And so in a voiceover, uh, Fletch tells us that... Uh, He's a very important newspaper columnist who goes by the name Jane Doe, mm-hmm. which is a, um, unless it pops up in a later book, it's just weird to me. They must have put it in there because they're like, well, wouldn't, if he was, maybe the difference is they felt the need to make him a big deal newspaper columnist in the movie. In the book, he's just a, he's just a reporter. So okay. no one would recognize Irwin M. Fletcher's name. Esquire, right. But if he's supposedly this hotshot newspaper, I guess he has to have, he's got to have a fake name or, or he's not going to be able to go undercover. Right, right. So I guess that's why they did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get to, we start, slowly start to meet the uh, ancillary characters, including Fat Sam, played by the great George Went. This is George Went at the heights of his uh, cheers powers, too. Yeah. And there was a bar in the south suburbs called Fat Sam's that I used to go drink at. Really? Yes. 
You drank in a bar in the South Suburbs? I had one of my best friends from college lived in uh, Orland Park. Ah. So uh, Fletch is hanging out with Fat Sam, and Sam is waiting for his drug shipment. And uh, Fletch asks if he's got anything, because Fletch is posing as a uh, junkie who lives on the beach. Right. So he can uh, find out who's, who's backing the drug trade on the beach in Los Angeles. Like when? When it comes, it comes. I got some reds. You don't mean communists, do you, Sam? <laughs> Everything a joke to you, Fletch. Everything, Sam. Then we meet another guy, another bum who lives on the beach, a guy named Gummy. Yep. And uh, he's just been beaten up by the cops, which becomes important later. Yes. And then we see Pledge Chairman Eric Stratton, damn glad to meet you, peering at them through binoculars. Um, recruiting for Delta Pledges through his binoculars. He's watching them on the beach. <laughs> and I always get the feeling we're supposed, because they're talking about the cops. I think we're supposed to think right then it's just one of the cops, like keeping an eye on... Definitely. Yes. They're trying to, yeah, that's definitely a, a misdirection. So one of the interesting things about having Chevy Chase and Tim Matheson in a movie together and having scenes in a movie together was the original choice for Eric Stratton in um, Animal House was Chevy Chase. Oh, okay. John Belushi, not so cool with that idea. Uh-huh, right. And they basically convinced the studio, because I don't think John Landis wanted Chevy either, was that he was... Uh, too famous to be believable as a college student. That he's just going to be Chevy Chase. And you can cast Chevy Chase as a 20-year-old college student, and all anybody's going to see is Chevy Chase. When really, Belushi, I think just, right. which really, Belushi just didn't want to make the movie with him. Right, right. They famously had a rift at, at SNO. Yeah, right. Although, although if that's Landis's reasoning, he, that is, he does have a good point. I don't yep. think Chevy could have paid at that time could have passed as a 20 something. No, and it's one of those things where of course the studio is just trying to cram as many stars into of a course. movie as possible, figuring that that means more money for them. Yeah. Well, it means less risk. It means they, they right. bring in a star brings an audience. That's what I mean. They're going to, it's guaranteed to sell more tickets if Chevy chases it. That's why all movies are superhero movies today. Yep. There's built in audience for them. Yeah. I think Chevy made foul play instead. I have my years right. Okay. Another fine movie, by the way. Yep. Very good. So Chevy was, I'm sure not, he was, he was fine with it because he's such a, uh, such a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> Fletch is making the rounds on the beach. He sits down next to another uh, beach indigent named Creasy and tells him Sam doesn't have anything yet. And they, they both try to figure out how does Sam get his drugs? How does he get it? He sits there in his chair. He doesn't have shit, and then he's got shit. What you don't realize at the time is that's really the whole movie is <laughs> figuring out who's giving – how does Fat Sam get his drugs and who are they coming from? Right. So then um, Fletch is making his way uh, from the beach, and um, he's stopped by Otter. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, uh, Alan Stanwyck. Tells him he'll pay him a thousand dollars to come to his house and listen to a proposition. Excuse me. Yeah, I have something I'd like to discuss with you. What's that? We can't talk about it here. Why not? Because we can. Are you on a scavenger hunt, or I just forget to pay my dinner check? I mean, I'd be happy to pay it. I, I want you to come to my house, and then we'll no. talk. 
You got the wrong gal, Philip. I'll give you a thousand dollars cash. What? Just come to my house and listen to the proposition. If you reject the proposition, you keep the thousand. And your mouth shut. this proposition entail my dressing up as little Bo Peep? It's nothing of a sexual nature, I assure you. Yeah, I assure you. One thousand just to listen? I don't see how you can pass that up, Mr. Nugent. Ted Nugent. Alan Stanwyck. Ellen? Charmed. And then he drives Fletch to his house. Mm-hmm. Which always made me wonder, how did Fletch leave? Right, he didn't take an Uber. <laughs> he didn't take an Uber. I don't think he called a cab. And it doesn't appear at the end of that scene like Alan's taking him anywhere to drop him. No, yeah. Um, that's at, the, at that point, that's when the Fletch, um, we should have a bell, he uses his first fake name. When asked who he is, his name is Ted Nugent. Yes. yes. So they drive to Alan's house, which has not one, but two fountains. So you know he's rich. Mm-hmm. Let there, let there be no doubt. What? I came this close to buying this place. Then I found out Hopalong Cassidy killed himself here. Blew it for me. Who? Hopalong Cassidy. Bow and arrow. Very weird. What, are you doped up now? Don't talk to me like that, assface. I don't work for you yet. <laughs> so, uh, now, that's, that sounds like an improv to me. It does. Yeah. And then we see the lovely Mrs. Stanwyck. Um, Or it could have been Bunny Lebowski. I'm not sure who we saw, but somebody was laying by the pool. She had all of her toes. She did. So they go into the the very fancy study that Alan Stanwyck has in his house. Here's my proposition. I'm all ears. I want you to murder me. Here. On Thursday. I'd like you to shoot me dead. The reason I ask you to do me this service is because I am already facing a very long, painful, and most certain death. You see, I have bone cancer. I don't know if you know anything about bone cancer, Mr. Nugent. It's the worst kind you can get. Just eats you up bit by bit. You don't look sick, Mr. Stanwyck. I don't feel sick, not yet. They tell me it'll start getting bad in about a month. After that, I'd rather not be around for it. Why don't you try suicide? Believe me, I've thought about it. But my company's taken out a very large life insurance policy on me. Suicide would nullify my insurance. But murder does not. Why me? You're a drifter, uh, a... uh... Pardon the expression, a junkie. Nobody would notice if you just disappeared. You see, I've been watching you for a couple of weeks. Maybe I'm just on vacation. Not with the scum you hang out with, no. No, I've watched and I've thought. It's rather an elegant little plan. I even have your escape figured out for you. Swell. Has it ever occurred to you I might not want to murder you, Stanwyck? I've got $50,000, says you will. 
50,000. And a guarantee you won't get caught. I'm still here. And I want it done Thursday evening around 8 p.m. My wife will be at her club function, and it's the staff's night off. These will be open. Wouldn't they normally be locked? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. The staff usually forgets. Oh, yeah, I, I have the same trouble with my help. Now, I'll be here in the room waiting for you. The safe will be open. There'll be $50,000 in it. You'll be wearing rubber gloves. Do you own rubber gloves? I rent them. I have a lease with an option to buy. Now, in this drawer... Ah, a 357 Magnum. My 357. You use it. No one can trace it to you. Of course, the room will be in some disarray. You want it to look like a uh, burglary attempt? You come in and catch me, I'm stealing your ties and money. We scuffle and, and uh, a gun gets loose and I shoot you right between the eyes. Precisely. Are you a good shot? Yeah, I'm all right. Well, get me on the first shot if you can. Do you have a passport? You probably dig one up. Good. Now, after you kill me, take the Jaguar. The keys will be in the glove compartment. Take it where? LAX. Go to the Pan Am desk. There'll be a ticket waiting for you. Where am I going? Rio. Departs at 11 p.m. They serve dinner on the plane? And a movie and free drinks. I'd recommend staying down there for at least a year. So? So? You've certainly thought this out. I'm not someone who leaves a great deal to chance. Those will be open. Now, don't worry about that. Just take care of the gloves, the passport, and the aim. I'll take care of everything else. The gun, the money, tickets, and the dying. That's right. Looks like you get the hard part. What do you say? You'll be doing me and my family a great service. Will you kill me? Uh, Stanwick explains the room will be ransacked, which obviously means he's going to call in Brian Drew and have him toss the room. It's amazing. Right. How everything goes back to draft day. Everything, everything connects, yes. So now we get our first uh, glimpse of Fletch at the newspaper, which I yeah. assume is the L.A. Times. I don't think they ever actually name it any other than the L, than an L.A. newspaper. Right. Um, he walks into the newsroom and people start clapping. Which is funny because that's what you would happen every time I walked into the athletic. <laughs> Dolan's John, here. Oh, you know, a lot of a lot of clapping, and it was very John, John Greenberg with a standing O. Yes. Yeah. Um, so he goes and talks to Larry, played by the beautiful Gina Davis. Yes. Um, and she's like I said, she's not a character in the book. Um, Frank, his editor, is also played by a great actor, Richard. Libertini, one of those guys who has been in a million things, and you have okay. no idea who he is other than he's good and everything he's in. Yep, great that guy. Great and so that. Frank is visibly upset at Fletch, is glad that he's there, and hopes that it means that the article is done. Fletch, I take it by your presence here that the story it's is done. W-Y-K. Tell me I'm right. Okay, I'm right. Us. You are right, Frank, but you're very peaked. You want to throw up? Come on in. Vomit in my well, I want an answer. The story's done, right? Uh, almost. Uh, almost. 
answer is not an answer. answer. Yes, Frank, the story's all done. That's an answer. And a damn fine answer, if I do say so, my damn self. Thank you. Irwin, professional journalism time now. Go back to the Don't beach. Don't say Irwin. And Rubber finish gloves. the damn story. Hey, Frank, I will. I swear. Frank, something else came up, okay? No, it's not okay. You've got a deadline tomorrow. Did you see the ad we ran Sunday? I don't read the paper. What's the spread in the game? What's the spread in the game tonight? Anybody know? The Lakers by six. Take a look. Drugs on our beaches. Shame of the city. Yeah, Shame of the city. That's very nice. Now, try to follow me on this. You can't run the ad and then not run the story. You can't? Why not? Shit, really? Frank, I'm just putting you on. You'll get the story and be very proud of it. You broke it? You know the source. Practically. Well, what's practically? Is it this guy, Fat Sam? He said you had pictures of him. I do have pictures of him. Dealing. Well, let's go. We'll run the pictures. Can't do that, Frank. Fat Sam is the story. There's a source behind him. Who? Well, there we're in a kind of a gray area. All right. All gray. Charcoal. Seems, seems odd that they would go out and run a full-page ad on a story that has not been turned in yet. That doesn't, it does seem, doesn't seem like good journalism at all. No, not really. And then one of my favorite lines that I've used a million times is, well, that's where we're getting to a bit of a gray area. <laughs> How gray? Charcoal. Charcoal. <laughs> and then he's trying to pour the coffee and, and his hand's shaking the editor's <laughs> yeah. And so Fletch takes, yeah, the editor's he has the, yeah, Fletch holds the cup up, he shakes it to go up to match. <laughs> I'll be with that. Uh, yeah, because Frank reminds Fletch, they have pictures of Sam um, and Fletch says he's the dealer, so Frank wants to run the story, but Fletch says the real story is whoever's supplying him. And then that's when he says, do you Which, know who uh, the source is? Well, as kind a, of a gray area. Yeah. Which, as a journalist, you would think that would have been sussed out before running the full-page ad, would you typically, right? Would you not? Yeah, you would think. Because they don't, they don't really know they have a story until um, until the rest of that. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So, a couple of things I want to talk about. So, uh, in the movie, Frank, or in the book, Frank is his editor, and mm-hmm. Frank is a uh, pretty much a useless drunk. <laughs> um, and is having an affair with, um, I believe, the character that Larry is based on. Okay. She's in a lot of the books. Um, but uh, in this, Larry and, uh, and Larry and Frank are not having an affair in the movie. Very clear. In fact, if Larry's having an affair with anybody, it's with Fletch. Right. They drop right. a few little. There's a great scene towards the end where she's volunteering information in front of Gail that makes it seem like uh, she she knows Fletch very well. Yes, yes. Uh, she's also always scratching Fletch's back. Yes. Yeah, but it's well, yeah, when they're and that's the fact where they go. They go. To, they they gotta hit. The, gotta go to the microfilm. And so the way it's shot is you see the microfilm kind of jerking around on the thing, and you hear him going left, right, a little bit to the left. Then you realize she's just she's scratching his back. It doesn't have anything to do with the microfilm being adjusted. Yes. Right. you got to love that. Yeah, so Larry's helping Fletch do some research on Alan Stanwyck. Mm-hmm. And she tells him everything's recent. Um, Alan married into Boyd Aviation. He was a test pilot, and he's a member of the JCs. Mr. Stanwyck's parents, Marvin and Velma of Provo, were unable to attend the wedding. Those Three names I enjoy, Marvin, Delma, and Provo. And he sees an article about a cancer benefit that Alan was at with Dr. Joseph Dolan, who the last time we had seen in a movie was taking random shots at Navin R. Johnson at a gas station. That's right. M. Emmett Walsh played the psycho in The Jerk. 
Outstanding, yes. And so uh, Fletch wonders out loud, I wonder if that's his doctor. To which Larry <laughs> says, there's only one way to find out. Where do you know Alan from? Uh, we play tennis at the club. Really? California Racquet Club? Right. That's my club, too. Uh, I don't remember seeing you there. Uh, well, I haven't been playing for a while uh, because of these kidney pains. All right. Now, how long have you had these pains, Mr. Barber? No, that's Babar. Two Bs? One B. B-A-B-A-R. That's two. Yeah, but not right next to each other. I thought that's what you meant. Arnold Babar. Isn't there a children's book about an elephant named Babar? I don't know. I don't have any. No children? No elephant books. Open why? Uh, Say uh. Ah. Uh. 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 No, it's an odd name. I don't recall having seen it on the club registry. Well, I don't formally belong. Uh, I'm a guest of my aunt's. Your aunt? Right, Mrs. Smith. Joan or Margaret? Uh-huh, right. Well, which one? Margaret. Funny old bird. Yeah, is she ever. I could tell you some stories. I bet. You know, it's a shame about Ed. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was really a shame. It goes so suddenly like that. Are you dying for years? Sure, but uh, the end was very, very sudden. He was in intensive care for eight weeks. Yeah, but I mean the very end, when he actually died, that was extremely sudden. You know, Alan and I were uh, recently speaking of dying. He told me Boyd Aviation took out a large insurance policy on him. Got to be in some kind of perfect shape to get that sort of a policy, I bet. Drop your shorts and bend over, Mr. Babar. Oh, no, really, uh, we, we don't need to. I, uh, we don't want to do that. Say, so, you know, my kidneys feel a lot better in this position. Maybe it's just that I'm not doing any calisthenics. You know, if I did some sit-ups in the morning or bent over like this, I'd probably feel 100% Moon River. Thank you, Doc. You ever serve time? Breathe easy. Breathe easy. You know, I was surprised that Alan was able to get that uh, policy. I know there's a history of cancer in the family. There is? Yeah. As a matter of fact, ah, uh, you using the whole fist, Doc? Just relax. Yeah, I saw Alan the other day. He's looking a little peaked. I don't know, I think he's lost weight. Are you sure he's all right? I can't discuss another patient, you know that. Well, I don't find anything wrong with you. Huh. Well, sure, it's not for a lack of looking. While he's at the clinic, uh, he decides he's going to continue to do some work. And um, so now he's got uh, like a shirt and tie and a sport coat on and a stethoscope. He's mm-hmm. carrying what looks like a medical bag. So clearly he's a doctor. Right, clearly. And uh, he's gazing at the, uh, the directory board right. in the hallway. There's a nurse's station to the left. And... Mm-hmm. Um, Every name he looks at, um, he's, looking for the, he's looking for the medical records room, and he sees a physician's directory on the wall, and all the names are Rosen something. <laughs> Rosenauer, Rosenbach, Rosenbaum, Rosenberg, Rosenstone, Rosenfield, and Rosendahl. Right. And there's a, a, a lady working at the counter who wants to help him. Uh, next to the 
And may I help you, Dr. Uh, uh... Oh, it's me, Dr. Rosen Phoenix. I'm just here to check Dr. out Stanwick's file. Dr. Rosen Rosen, I'm here to get to the records room. I... It's Dr. Rosen. I, I, uh, I want to check Dr. the records room. Dr. Rosen, wait, where's the record room? Uh, 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 next to pathology. Would you do me a favor and take care of these things? Uh, I'd like to check Alan Stanwick's file. Uh, what the hell is happening? Hey, Where the hell's the records room? Next to pathology. I can't hear you. What? Uh, B1. Could you just collate these for me? Where'd you say that was? B1. B1. Thank you very much. You can take the elevator. Thank you very much. <laughs> Dr. Rosen Penis. Also <laughs> Dr. Rosen Penis. So now we're up to like fake name number seven. All right. Right. By the way, this is, continues a theme in this movie of really just top-notch security in terms of uh, <laughs> yeah. health information. Oh, you're a doctor because you're wearing scrubs and right. you have a stethoscope? Oh, come on in. So, so basically, he's the Jake Taylor of, <laughs> of investigative journalists where nobody ever locks a door for Fletch. He just can just walk in wherever he wants right. to go. Absolutely, yeah. So I never quite understood this. So he's already, he's got, he vaguely looks like a doctor. He yeah. goes down the stairwell. He gets to the bottom of the stairwell, and he opens up the bag, and he feels the need to put on – he puts scrubs on. <laughs> yeah, now, we right. know why he does it, because without it, it doesn't set up the next series of jokes. But right. strategically, it makes no sense. He looks as much like a doctor need, with the stethoscope. Yeah, you, you don't need scrubs to go into the records room. <laughs> one That's a scrub-free area. A suit and a tie would be fine. Yeah, yes. so he uh, – he looks, he, see, he finds the records room, and there's nobody in there. So this is his chance. He can just go in and start looking for the records. But in right. the room next to it, there's a, uh, a, another, a, an actual doctor, we presume, I hope. Right. Uh, also wearing scrubs. And doing an autopsy. Doing an autopsy. Hey, you. Give me a hand for a second, will you, doctor? Really? Come on, come on! Seen a spleen that large? No, not not since breakfast. Here, hold this. Listen, I'm not really prepared for this. I haven't sterilized my hands. Well, you're not going to make this guy any sicker. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'll get it. Oh, boy, you never get used to the smell, do you? <sighs> yeah. Which, would that, does that happen a lot? Guys, <laughs> guys doing an autopsy, see some other schlub walking down the hall. He's never seen before. Just needs no a, bad. Just needed a hand. No identification. Hey, come on in, doctor. So he wakes up and he's on a couch in the records room. So he, right in the, to right. his, in his destination. He right. made it. Perfect. It couldn't have worked out better. Right. And there's a, uh, there's a nurse who sees that he's come. To- oh, doctor, are you all right? Where am I? You're in the records room. The records room? Oh, I'm fine. Can I get you something? Uh, yeah, do you have the Beatles White Album? Never mind, just get me a glass of hot fat. And bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia while you're out there. Well, Dr. Holmes went to get you some smelling salts. He was quite surprised that you fainted. He was surprised. I thought that body was my dead brother. Oh. It's okay, but that spleen was a spitting image. Uh, no, I guess I'm fine. Nurse, I'm a hum. I'm hyperventilating. Would you get me a paper bag, please? Yes, right away. Thank you. 
I was like, oh, uh, do you have the, uh, the Beatles White Album? Uh, just get me a glass of hot fat and bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia while you're right. Out there. Does anybody know what that means? I, it was a, I mean, anybody listening? I mean, it was a, it was a Sam Peckinpah film. Oh, I thought it, he just wanted the head of the uh, former uh, uh, second baseman for the Toronto Blue Jays. <laughs> Big fans of the former president. <laughs> We'll get to that later. <laughs> she, yeah. she tells Dr. Holmes went to get you some smelling salts. He was surprised that you fainted. He was surprised. I thought that body was my dead brother. Oh, no. <laughs> so, it's okay, but that spleen was a spitting image. <laughs> so then he goes to sit up and he looks there. It's a curious layout in this hospital where the records room has a window. That just that looks right into the right into the surgical suite next door. Yeah, yeah. But he sees that Doctor Dolan is now in the autopsy room, lending a hand in the autopsy. So he lays right back down again. Right, and they're yucking it up. The docs are laughing over the dead body parts. And now this is something that I have repeated many, many times. And be amazed how often you can use this to say in a very calm voice, uh, "Nurse, I'm hyperventilating. Could you please get me a brown paper bag?" So she goes off to find a bag, and he sneaks over to the computer and uh, looks up Alan Stanwyck, finds out where the records are, and uh, he's he's reading through it uh, as the nurse is uh, taking it. She's come back with the bag, and now she's he's reading it. She's pulling it out of his hands because he's clearly not supposed to be helping himself to the medical records. Right, right. And he goes, oh, one of my associates was doing a biopsy on this man, and he had a melanoma or a carcinoma, some kind of a noma, but there's no record of it here. And she's like, well, if he had one, it would certainly be in here. And then <laughs> there's a great shot of right over her shoulder, you see, into the autopsy room. And Dr. Dolan is pouring coffee into the mouth of Dr. Holmes. <laughs> They're having a great time in there. There you it up, yep. <laughs> and she goes, oh, wait, here it is. Surgical remover of two moles. Tissue was benign. By the way, clearly before HIPAA, <laughs> this, uh, this yeah, era. Right. You don't even have to, you don't have to prove you're the guy's doctor. You just, Nothing. I heard this guy might have something. Can we look it up? Right. Um, he goes, there's no mention of cancer in here at all, is it? And she's like, nope, that's it. So this was one month ago. In other words, according to this hospital, Alan Stanwyck does not have cancer. She goes, I guess not. He goes, well, he'll be so relieved. <laughs> and then as he walks by the autopsy room, he has blown up the paper bag and he pops it. And Dr. Holmes drops the spleen or whatever it is that he had in his hands. This movie, one of the great things about the movie, there's a lot of stuff in it. It's only an hour and 38 minutes. And they don't waste any time. Right. He's yeah. now, he's at the club. Yes, the tennis, California tennis racket club, I think. And uh, we see uh, a beautiful woman, beautiful young woman, and she's practicing her tennis and she's terrible at it. Right. And it turns out that it is Gail Stanwyck, wife of Alan. Mm-hmm. Um, Played by the lovely, um, why can't I think of her first name? Is it Dana? Dana Wheeler Nicholson? It doesn't sound right. It is, uh, no, no, hold on. It's, uh, it'll come to me. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it is Dana. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's Dana Wheeler. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. I've had a, had a crush on her since 1985. Yes, understandably. Yes. She also uh, was in Tombstone. Yes, known for Tombstone. She played the laudanum-addicted uh, first wife of uh, Kurt Russell, uh, White Earp. White Earp. Uh, she was also on the uh, TV show Nashville. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, she's been on lots of, and she was on Friday Night Lights. She was Tyra's mom, if you watch Friday right. Night Lights. So she's been on lots of stuff. Yes. Aging relatively well. Um, so movie Gail Stanwyck, few differences from book Gail Stanwyck, significantly younger. Okay. Um, in the book, Gail Stanwyck, terrific tennis player. Make a huge point. They make a big deal out of what a great tennis player she is. So clearly, Dana, not a good tennis player, became easier just to make her a terrible tennis player instead of a good tennis player. Okay, gotcha. Um, also, in the book, she immediately has sex with Fletch. <laughs> because she wants to, even more than he does. She just really wants to. So, uh, okay. Well, big, big change is the Gail Stanwyck character. Because in this movie, she's a very, very nice, very relatively innocent uh, person. Well, the reason they, the way the premise of them meeting is that Fletch is teaching her how to play tennis because right. she's terrible. But if she's great at tennis, what's yes. the premise of the, how do they meet in the book? Um, it's almost the exact same scene. He comes up and pretends that he was at the wedding. Okay. Uh, there's just no, there's like no jokey tennis part. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. In fact, this part I think is almost verbatim. Gail Stanley? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't seen you since the wedding. You look great. I do? That's very sweet of you. You know, I have to confess something to you. I must have been pretty plowed at your wedding. I don't have any idea who oh. you are. <laughs> Not my wedding, your wedding. Oh, my wedding. Yes. <gasps> Thank God. Yeah, you know, doesn't really help me. Are you a friend of Alan's? Why, well, yes, we used to fly together. I'm John. Oh, John. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kenneth. <laughs> Uh, now, John who? John Cocktoe <laughs> It's a beautiful name. Well, it's Scotch-Romanian. It's an odd combination. Yeah, well, so are my parents. Mm-hmm. Do you mind if I practice some more? I have to work on my ground stroke. You bet. Go ahead. Hello? So, Gail is practicing, and a waiter comes up to Fletch and asks him if he's a member of the club. Um, right. When he first walked in, we heard we overheard a very loud conversation where one of the members of the club was berating uh, yes. a waiter. Just a minute, I'm not finished yet. Sorry, Mr. Underhill. Does that look like I'm finished? Huh. I guess not. Now I'm finished. Whatever you say, Mr. Underhill. I imagine you're expecting a nice gratuity, right? Maybe next time. So Fletch yes. has heard that. And um, so when the guy comes up and asks him if he's a member of the club, he says, oh, I'm a guest of the uh, Underhills. Excuse me, senor. You are a member of the club? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm with the Underhills. They are left, senor. That's all right. They'll be back. He went out for his urinalysis. Would you like some drinks, senor, while you wait? I will put it on the Underhills bill. Yes, very good. I'll have a Bloody Mary and a steak sandwich and... A steak sandwich, please. Very good, senor. Oh, hi. So how's Alan? Uh, what are you asking me for? He's been so busy lately, I hardly see him. He's been preoccupied. With what? I don't know. Personal stuff. Whoa! Look, I hit one. Not bad. You know, lobs are a very important part of the game. Sorry, sir. <laughs> Let me show you a couple of things. Stand here for a sec. Now look, when the ball comes, face the ball like this, see? Yeah. And then pivot your body and step in like that. Swing. Step in with your left foot, just like this. Okay? 
Go ahead, try one. All right, go ahead. So get in that ready position. Yeah. And the ball's going to come now. I want you to pivot. Ready? Yeah. How many did you put in the machine there? I thought I put a lot. But... Yeah, well, that's it. It's finished. Good. <clears throat> Much better. <laughs> you know, I must be having an off day. I'm usually a fabulous player. Well, I have this effect on a lot of women. That you do. You know, the reason I was asking about uh, Alan is that I bumped into him this morning, and you know what I can't figure out? Alan's in Utah. I can't figure out what I was doing in Utah this morning. I'm very flattered, but I'm also very married. You are trying to hit on me, aren't you? How did you guess? I'm such a heel, I don't, I don't know what came over me. If I had a nickel for every one of Alan's flyboy buddies tried to pick me up, I'd be a rich woman. You are a rich woman. See what I mean? You are a rich woman. Yeah. See what I mean? See what I mean? <laughs> and then my favorite, just the way a scene starts, you all you see is uh, Fletch sitting. He's got a terrible, like, uh, plaid sport coat. But he's sitting in a chair with inexplicably a bandage covering just his nostrils on his nose. <laughs> right. And you hear a woman's voice go, Sugar, Mr. Poon? Sugar, Mr. Poon. <laughs> <laughs> so he's gone to see um, Gail Stanwick's father. Yes. The president of Boyd Aviation, where Alan works. And he is posing as, an, as a securities uh, investigator, an SEC investigator. And the uh, Kenneth Mars is playing, uh, I guess, Mr. Boyd. And um, he's very irritated that he's having to do this uh, thing. He wants to know what, what this is all about. I thought the vice president knew I was opening the door, but the Secret Service, they whack. <laughs> this is blood. <laughs> Washington. <laughs> Sugar, Mr. Poon? <laughs> no, never. Well, now, let me reiterate that this is not a formal investigation. That is, if Alan Stanwyck isn't involved in any improprieties. Alan Stanwyck is not involved in any improprieties. I don't know where the SEC comes off even making such an accusation. Well, now, you know that and I know that, but somebody's bucking for a promotion. It's probably that pederast Hanrahan, I don't know. All I know is if I don't go back with something, you and your son-in-law are going to be the scapegoats of the week. Unbelievable. This is unbelievable. I mean, look at this. They even want to know what he's doing in Utah. Utah? Oh, Jesus H. Christ on a popsicle stick. First of all, Alan Stanwyck does not own one single share of stock. The $3 million for the ranch in Provo was entirely provided by my daughter, who converted some of her personal holdings, not corporate holdings, personal holdings. So, if any of your DC boys want to make something out of that, bring them on. Otherwise, you tell your commission to get the hell out of my face. God, I admire you. Well, consider this case closed. Look at this. It's even stopped bleeding. My pleasure. Well, thank you and good day. Oh, by the way, what kind of a name is Poon? Comanche Indian. Ah, somebody's probably bucking for a promotion. Probably that petter-assed Hanrahan. 
<laughs> now again, uh, no ID, identify no man, <laughs> identifying him as a member of the SEC. Just tell him you're from the SEC. That opens all the right. Doors. He looks nothing like Nick Saban. There's nothing to give an SEC right. hint of any sort, but nope. But it's totally believable. Yeah, and it's also so the yeah. SEC shows up to investigate. And the president of the company doesn't have, like, his lawyer with him or his no. accountants. Not He's just going to handle it himself. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then on his way out, one of my favorite things, he talk, stops to tell the secretary that uh, uh, he needs a name and number for uh, Jim Swarthout. Oh, Madeline, uh, Frida lost a number for Alan's realtor in Provo, Utah. Could you give me that real quick, please? Jim Swarthout? Yeah. And I'm sorry, who are you again? I'm Frida's boss. Who's Frida? My secretary. <laughs> Great line. I'm Frida's boss. Who's Frida? My secretary. So now he's driving home. As I pulled up to my palatial imitation apartment building, I observed the familiar red Oldsmobile Buick of Mr. Arnold T. Pants, Esquire, attorney for the former Mrs. Irwin Fletcher. Time to use the service entrance. to pay alimony is a jailable offense, Fletch. <sighs> what about trespassing and loitering? I am neither loitering nor trespassing. I have simply chosen an advisable location to await my client's delinquent husband. Well, I don't like to discuss business on the lanai. Let's go inside. Okay. If you're wearing rubbers, leave them outside, would you? Arnold T. Pants. Now, Arnold T. Pants is played by George Winter or George Weiner. What What else do you remember George Weiner from? I mean, I'm trying to think. He's in so many things. He's a great that guy. Yes, I think the, the, guy, the I immediately recognize him as Colonel Sanders from Spaceballs. Yes, there you go. Yes. That's it. That's how most. That's probably how most people would would recognize him. Yeah. And so basically, he's telling him that um, Fletch is late with uh, alimony. Can, can, we just, can we just pause and just honor sure. the name the name Colonel Sanders? <laughs> yes, and it's spelled. I didn't know this till I looked it up. <laughs> Colonel Sanders in Spaceballs is spelled S A N D U R Z. <laughs> Colonel Sanders. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> ah, perfect. Uh, so he gets he gets the best name, and then so the first time I saw this movie, I was twelve, and this was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen. He walks into the living room of his apartment, and on the wall is a basketball hoop. Yes. And this huge collage of Magic Johnson, like, going in for a layup. Right, right. And he pulls on this thing, and the basketball dislodges from its little perch on the wall, and he, he goes to shoot it. And he actually, he, does, he shoots it, then he grabs Arnold Pants by the shoulders and gives him a light headbutt and goes, and the foul! A little one-on-one. He draws the foul. Wendy, $918. She doesn't need it. She's been living with somebody for months, and I know it. I don't know what you're referring to. Wendy maintains her own residence. This stinks. I empathize with your plight, Fletch. However, you threw her out. She was sleeping with everybody. You should have proved that in the court of law. My lawyer was a bum. (laughs) I agree. I think she slept with him, too. You may be right. 
Are you serious? That's history, Fletch. You owe us $918. Hey! I think our problems may just be solved. Ed McMahon. I think I just want a million bucks. Yeah, Erwin <laughs> M. Fletcher, you choose. Woo-wee! Oh, boy, I lost again. Sorry. This is no joke, Fletch. If some kind of payment isn't made, I'm going to have to contact your paper. Garnish your wages. I can't have my wages garnished. I'll tell you what. Cash. <laughs> I'm impressed. Saw my pimp today. Ah, open your raincoat. Come on, just once. It's worth it. That's a thousand dollars. You apply the difference to next month, okay? Now scram. Till then. Yeah. Keep ten for yourself. Go out and get yourself a nice piece of ass. Now it's time. Fletch is flipping through his mail. And uh, mm-hmm. he holds up what at the t- uh, kids these days would have no idea what the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes was, but we sort right. of knew what it was. And he holds yeah. up the very familiar envelope of Ed McMahon. And he goes, Hey, I think our problems might just be solved. He taps on it, Ed McMahon. <laughs> I think I may have just won a million bucks. It says, Erwin M. <laughs> Fletcher, you choose. He opens it up. Ooh, we, oh boy, I lost again. Now, Arnold is dressed. It must, uh, must be the rainy season in. Uh, I in guess. Los Angeles, he's got a trench coat on. Yeah. And as yeah. Fletch goes to hold the hand of the money, he pulls it back a little bit. He goes, oh, open your raincoat. Come on, it's worth it. <laughs> so he hands to him and goes, there's a thousand. Apply the difference next month. Keep ten for yourself. Go ahead and get yourself a nice piece of ass. <laughs> so in the, in the books, there's a common theme. I believe in the, this book, Fletch. He already had, oh, I know he does. He has two ex-wives. Okay. Um, and they're both after him for money. Um, right. And he's not paying it. But another thing that happens in the books is that anytime Fletch gets money, he immediately has to give it to somebody else. Okay. So the fact that he got the thousand dollars from Alan Stanwyck, it made perfect sense that a day later he would be handing it all over, and so right. he's back to having no money uh, again. <sighs> Fletch perpetually has no money, basically. Yeah. So he decides he needs a little rest, and he lays down on the bed, and he closes his eyes, and the next thing you hear, Chick Hearn's voice. Ah, the great Chick Hearn. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest is the most valuable player of the National Basketball Association six times. From the Los Angeles Lakers, the all-time scoring champion of the NBA, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And he's coming off a game that was second to none in his brilliant career. you got to be proud. Oh, definitely, Chick. It, it, it was a great effort, but, uh, you know, I had a lot of help, and uh, we're just glad to be here. Hey, how about Fletch? Well, wow, what can I say about Fletch? He's been fantastic. He boxes out for us gets the tough rebounds, does the tough things that we need to win. It's, it's great working with him. I, I don't know where we'd be without him. Well, let's take a look at the play. He is actually 6'5", with the Afro 6'9". Pretty good dribbler. Comes in deep. His club is behind by one point at this stage. Fletch comes in, puts the ball through the lights. What a great play, and he puts it up and in, and the Lakers have the lead. Oh, was that some kind of a play? You know, this gritty kid from the streets of Harlem really creates excitement. $4 million a year, that's true, but he earns every nickel of it. Look how he shakes off four or five defenders with ease. <laughs> Fletch, he truly defines grace under pressure. Kareem, by the way, in, in two of the funniest movies of the 80s. Yes. Uh, and, there's, and a baseball connection to both. Um, originally cast in his role in Airplane was Pete Rose. Really? Yes, but they they had when they had to shoot it. 
it was yeah. baseball season, and so they had to recast it, and they got Kareem instead. Okay. So the baseball connection, obviously, in this one is there's a there's a great Tommy Lasorda joke coming up later. Right. But they actually, and you can find pictures of this on the internet. They actually filmed a scene where Fletch dreams that he's pitching for the Dodgers, and Tommy comes out to take him out of the game. Oh, really? They actually filmed that scene at Dodger Stadium, but they didn't they didn't use it in the movie. Ah, excellent. So now we're back at the beach, and Fletch is talking to Larry on a payphone. And he tells her to check out Stanwick from his Utah days and a guy mm-hmm. named Jim Swarthout. And then we see the cops all of a sudden descend on the beach, and they're chasing after Gummy. Yep. Uh, cop grabs Gummy, punches him. Fletch runs in. The cop kicks Fletch in the nuts, but they take off with only Gummy. Fletch picks up a rock or a brick, I don't know what it is, and throws right. it and busts out the window in the back of the car. Quite a throw, by the way. Yes. Yeah. But the cops just keep going. Mm-hmm. And so the, one of the other drifters or whatever, uh, Creasy, um, he's like, Flesh man, you're nuts. And he's like, they didn't want me. I broke mm-hmm. out their window. They didn't even stop to come back. They only wanted gummy. So the right. mystery continues. Foreshadowing, right, yes. A piece of the puzzle revealed. So Flesh asks Frank uh, for some more time on the story. Come on, Frank. Relax, will you? I need a little more time. I could be on to something here. You're on to something? Good. Yeah. What? I don't want to spoil your surprise. Read about it tomorrow. What? What do you want? Don't point. Speak! I need Fletch for a second. She needs me. Nothing on Utah or Jim Swartz. I know, honey. We have to put this on the back burner right now. Give me right here. Right here. Uh, You want to give me just a little hint? All right, Frank. There just may be some cops involved in all this. Did you say cops? Yeah. Because that's the one thing I did find. It's from last month, so it was in the unsorted pub. What this? More cops. Frank, I need to go to Utah. Utah? Yeah, Utah. It's wedged in between Wyoming and Nevada. You've seen pictures. Well, what about finding the source? I have some ideas. Ooh. Come on. Frank, say yes. I'll buy you some new deodorant. Go to transportation. Get a ticket. My hero. Nothing to it. And I, I was just in Utah last month. Oh, you were? Yeah. I don't really have anything to share. Other than this was early May. There, there was no pandemic in Utah, let me tell you. <laughs> The Utahans had long, well before the CDC uh, relaxed their guidelines, the Utahans had already figured there's no COVID here. There you go. Something about the, I think the Great Salt Lake or the Magic Underpants or something. There was something like that, yeah. That'll help. Yeah. But as mad as Frank is, he agrees to fund Fletch's trip to Utah. Yes. Um, So let me see. Could not have been that expensive. I would think so. I I think LA, LA, Utah in 1985. Yeah, I think the LA Times or whatever paper that is a surrogate for could could handle that. And we see that he's flying coach. Yeah, right. Because he's he's, he's got his recorder out, he's going to dictate into it, but he hits play instead of record. <laughs> so then an underrated person in this movie is the lady who works at the desk in the whatever crappy little hotel he stays at in utah oh she's great she has two great scenes so this is the first one he's on he's he, there's obviously not a phone in his room so he's talking on a payphone in the lobby uh, mr jim swartho uh, my name is igor stravinsky and i'm calling about some uh, ranch property i'd like to buy good mr stravinsky what do you have in mind mm-hmm Oh, are you a friend of Alan's? 
Well, no, not exactly. I was at the club and I overheard uh, some people talking about the property you sold him and $3 million sounded like a good price to me. Oh. Oh, is that right? Oh, well, in that case, I have been very misinformed. Excuse you? Yes. Well, listen, say, I'd, I'd like to come out and, uh, and, and see you anyway. Is that all right? Oh, uh, what's good for you? Well, I'm about to close up shop and go out for the evening. How about first thing in the morning? First thing in the morning. Tomorrow. Bye. Is it good, Mr. Savinsky? Uh, what are you interested in buying? Are you a friend of Alan's? I said, well, not exactly. I was at the club, and I heard some people talking about the land you sold him, and $3 million sounded like a good price to me. And the receptionist just turns and stares at him. Like, <laughs> like yeah, you have $3 million standing in this right. shithole. Right. So this hotel costs 48 cents a night. But she, you turns, she turns back to look at the TV, and, and do you know what's on the TV? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, what was on the TV? It's a commercial. Mm. I don't know. For Mr. Mr. Potato Head. Ah, oh, Mr. Potato Head, yes. Back before he was a genderless liberal pawn. <laughs> so uh, Swarthout tells Fletch that he's about to leave for the night, but they can meet in the morning, which basically just tells Fletch, I'm not going to be here. You can break into my office. So right. Fletch is off to do some investigating. Mm-hmm. We see a very large Doberman who's guarding the place. So Fletch has to climb up a tree to avoid the Doberman. He sneaks into a window. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's going through his stuff, and he's taking pictures of the file that he finds with Stanwick's name on it. And you see a deed uh, to some property that uh, Stanwick bought, but it didn't cost $3 million. Mm-hmm. It cost $3,000. Ooh. Um, and then, incredibly, the Doberman, who you've heard barking out front, uh, is a, this is a guard dog that takes his job very seriously. <laughs> the Doberman jumps through a closed window, breaks it. <laughs> And starts chasing Fletch out of the house. Right. At, at one point, Fletch closes a door and runs off. The dog manages to turn the knob of the door with his teeth <laughs> to get out. What a right. Um, Fletch gets into his rental car, and the dog ends up on the hood, to which uh, Fletch still has the camera out, taking pictures, takes a picture of the dog, and says, Smile, say Fletch. Come on, smile, say Fletch. Look, the pencil's babies. What? Now Fletch is back in Los Angeles and going back to his house. He opens the door, and waiting for him are two cops. Mm-hmm. Including, incredibly, I didn't remember this, um, the F- Fresh Prince's Uncle Phil. I didn't know that he had been an L.A. cop before, uh, that. before he moved to Bel Air. <laughs> wow. Uh, the actor James Avery. Yes. Uh, so him and the, uh, the rather large Italian cop uh, plant some drugs on Fletch and arrest him. Using the night, exchanging clothing, strangers in my pants, fingers rolling. Surprise. Police, spread them. Got a gun creep. Shamu's got one. Borrow his. What have we here? That's my dick. Oh, funny boy. What have we here? Looks like heroin, Gene. Hey, you just planted that. What'd you say? You fellas want to read me my rights? You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to have your face kicked in by me. You have the right to have your balls stomped by him. I'll wait my rights. (laughs) 
Now we're in Judge or uh, we're in Chief 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 of Police Carlin's office, and um, so it's funny if you pause it because what the the establishing shot is the big wall where he's got all these pictures, right? And there are pictures of Chief Carlin with other people, and of course my eye is immediately drawn to the one of him and Tommy Lasorda. But if you look at the wall, there's also one of of him with Richard Nixon. Uh-huh, right, and there's one of him with Burt Reynolds, ah, which you know nice. is not an accident. There's right. no way that just accidentally made it coincidentally made itself onto the wall. Exactly. Uh, so Chief Carlin, of course, played by the great Joe Don Baker. Yes, the Whammer for fans of the Natural. Carlin asked him, "What's your name?" You decorate this place yourself, or did Mrs. Chief of Police help out? So, what's your name? Fletch. Full name? Fletch. F. Fletch. I see. And what do you do for a living, Mr. Fletch? I'm a shepherd. Officers, uh, could you excuse us for a few moments? Yeah, why don't you guys go down to the gym and pump each other? Why are you doing this, Mr. Fletch? I like men. I like to be manhandled. Like you. For a gentleman who was just found holding a bag full of heroin. That was planted on me. Well, we're looking at five years here, maybe ten. Now, is that what you want, Jane Doe? <laughs> your editor phoned me to respond to allegations you're about to print concerning police involvement in narcotics dealings. Uh-uh. I'm about to bust that beach wide open. And I don't need some penny any Woodward and Bernstein to come along and get in the way of my men. Well, your men may just be involved in all of this. I would think that might interest you. Idiot. All right, strictly off the record, okay? Yeah, okay. I got that beach crawling with undercover cops. But if you come along nosing around, you're going to make the bad guys more cautious. Makes my job harder. And listen, if you print your story this week, you might get some of my men killed. And I can't have that, Mr. Fletch. Understand? Yeah, I understand. Well, I got a deadline. So the name's Carlin with a K, right? Dipshit. You put my back on a goddamn beast and you won't live to regret it. All right. Hey, you and Tommy Lasorda. I hate Tommy Lasorda. Carlin reveals that he knows that Fletch is Jane Doe. Because Frank, the editor, called him to get comments on police officers involved in narcotics dealings. Thanks a lot, Frank. He tells Fletch he's about to bust that beach wide open and doesn't need some Penny Annie, Woodward and Bernstein to get in the way of his men. So it reminded me of much lower stakes of the scene late in Almost Famous, where uh, William Miller has written, has turned in the story to Rolling Stone. Mm -hmm. And the fact checker lady at Rolling Stone is screaming and yelling at him on the phone because she checked with the band to verify all their quotes and they told him that they didn't say any of it. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, of course they're going to say that they didn't say any of it. Um, just like, um, you know, Frank's going to call the chief of police and ask him to confirm that there are officers selling drugs, corruptly <laughs> selling drugs on the beach. He's right. not going to say, oh, yeah, absolutely. 
That's what we're doing. Right. I can't tell you how many of my stories, these, these breaking news stories at The Athletic, got spiked because Greenberg was calling around trying to get me killed. <laughs> by, uh, I accidentally, you know, when I broke the story that David DeJesus was the new color guy on the post game. Right. I mean, Dave was not happy. He sent, he sent his lovely wife, Kim, over to my house. Which <laughs> it wasn't too bad. <laughs> so anyway, so he does the, uh, do you spell Carlin with C or K? Um, and then he looks at the wall and he's like, Hey, a picture of you and Tommy Lasorda. And he punches it. He goes, I hate Tommy Lasorda. Great line. So the judge or the, I can't call him the judge, the chief and the two cops take Fletch down uh, to an empty part of the jail. Not a good sign for Fletch. Never a good sign. Right. Puts him in a cell and Fletch says something like, well, you can't keep me here forever. And <laughs> she's like, Oh, I'm not gonna. And he's got a, switchblade in one hand and a gun in the other and he goes uh, he tells Fletch he's going to shoot him and he's going to take the knife and stab himself in the arm and uh, claim it was self-defense he goes we don't do it much anymore but back in the day and Fletch realizes that he's serious Yeah. so he goes so what will it be Fletch he's like hey I hate the beach it's not my story anyway I got a deadline on my series about off track betting in the Himalayas it's a smaller story but I know you've been following it (laughs) So uh, next scene, he's back in Frank's office, and he's screaming at him. How could you call him? What's the matter with you? Fletch, I'm sorry. Do you have any idea how close to death I came? Yeah, it's awful. I mean, the guy had me alone in a cell with a gun on my head and a knife in his hand. He threatened to kill me, Frank. Jeez, that's a shame. He would have blown me away. Unbelievable. You don't believe me, do you? Nope. He thinks I made it up. Unbelievable. Fletch, I need an article from you by tomorrow. You believe me, don't you? And I don't want any of these unsubstantiated charges about dope-dealing cops or any of your horse-shit paranoid fantasies about homicidal police chiefs. Give me something I can print. Print this. Me too. Hey, hey, watch it. You're on thin ice, Larry. Now, for, uh, Frank, who takes out a full-page ad yep. to promote the stories, doesn't believe his reporter. No. Is that what you're telling me? Okay. He doesn't. Great. Makes sense. So I love this. He goes, give me something I can print. Fletch goes, print this, and he flips him off. <laughs> and then so does Larry. But she uses the wrong finger when she flips him off. <laughs> nice. And so he, Frank gets mad, but he doesn't yell at Fletch. He yells, he goes, hey, you're on thin ice, Larry. Yeah, the Larry's fault. So now Fletch is, is off to Boyd Aviation uh, to continue his investigations. Yes. And um, he, has, he has two pieces of disguise, one of which he talks about in the voiceover. He splurged for some 49-cent uh, novelty teeth. Right. But later, at the very end of the movie, we also find out that his terrible wig – he refer- when they're going over his, his expense account at the end, uh, Frank is looking at it and he goes, Bob Haldeman wig? <laughs> so that's the Bob Haldeman wig that he's wearing. Nice. Uh, of Watergate fame. Which, and it, it just it begins a Watergate theme because uh, the fake name he gives the guys at Boyd Aviation is Gordon Liddy. Right. Not Liddy, but Litty. Chevy claims that he kept the teeth and he would wear them out in public from time to time. And he said if he had the hat and the teeth on, people didn't recognize him. 
know if that was true or not. Okay. I think Chevy Chase is pretty um, recognizable. Yeah, pretty he kind of he kind of looks like Stephen Baldwin with that get up. <laughs> kind of reminded me of that. Then, of course, the, now there's two airline mechanics. One of whom, my chance to quiz you, is in uh, is in a movie that we mentioned earlier. Um, written by what's the name of that? It was T. What was it? That what was the movie name that was? Uh, uh, it was it was rewritten by Richard Pryor, and we know, we know that. Oh, Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles, right? Do you recognize one of the airline mechanics? Yeah, the guy. Um, let's see which one here was it. Um, but it's uh, it's Lloyd. That's right. Lloyd. Lloyd, Lloyd from Blazing Saddles. He's yeah. the, uh, what are you doing up there? Some stunt flying or something? <laughs> so he's in the, uh, he's in the toll booth scene, right? Uh, he's in that scene. Yeah, he's, uh, um, oh, he's in a bunch of great scenes in Blazing Saddles. Some get a kick from cocaine. Hold it, hold it. What the hell is that shit? I meant a song, a real song, something like Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Swing Low, Chariot. Don't know that one, huh? Well, how about the Camp Town Ladies? The Camp Town Ladies. The Camp Town Ladies. Oh, you know. The Camp Town Ladies sing this song. Doo-dah, doo-dah. The Camp Town racetrack five miles long. All the doo-dah day. Sports is going on here. I had you people try to get a little track lead, not to jump around like a bunch of Kansas City faggots. Sorry, Mr. Taylor. That's Lloyd. But I feel like he's, is he the guy who notices, even before Slim Pickens, that, um, that Lepetamine has put up a toll booth? Yeah. Um, he's all that cheap son of a bitch, and then Slim has to send him back to get a shitload of dimes. Lepetamine freeway, <laughs> what will that asshole think of next? <laughs> Has anybody got a dime? <laughs> no, I don't. Get a shitload of dimes. dimes. <laughs> uh, yeah, but Lloyd leaves the singing of the the Camp Town Lady. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he's a great that guy. He's great. He's fantastic. Yeah. Um, the other guy looks a little bit like um, um, Jonathan Banks. Yeah, um, from Breaking Bad and from because uh, he's an airplane, very briefly, oh, and he's got okay. the hair is almost the same. Right, as back when he had hair, um, but it's not him. Right. Um, so anyway, so uh, Fletch has uh, coveralls on his his uh, Bob Haldeman hair and his fake teeth, and he's Ooh. he's wandering around the hangar looking for Alan Stanwyck's plane. Hey. You the guy from Ajax? Yeah, you bet. All right. Who are you bringing the eighth? Yeah, oh, well, they're on their way. I'm the supervisor. I don't carry this stuff. Who's bringing them, Freddy? 
Yeah, Freddy. Supposed to be here over an hour ago, boy. Well, traffic was murder. You know, one of those uh, manure spreaders jackknifed on the Santa Ana? God awful mess. You should see my shoes. Whew. Sandwich, baby, huh? Yeah. Uh huh. It's well used. He's back and forth to Utah every weekend. Oh, is that right? What is he, a Mormon? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's doing a whole lot of singing with the Tabernacle Choir. <laughs> These executives, they live hard. You know what I mean? Oh, I sure do. Ah, <whistles> oh, that's a terrific wing. I love this shape. Hey, uh, do us a favor, pal. Name's Liddy. Gordon Liddy. Gord, uh, take a look at the seventh fets of Al, will you? I think it's been sticking. Probably the humidity. <laughs> That's funny. No, what I think it is myself is the uh, bypass line. That could be the bypass line, yeah. Maybe I should take a look at it. Uh, Gordo. Back here? Don't tell me my business, boy. Just checking the luggage. Somebody ought to clean these windows. There is a tremendous buildup of gook all over them. Look at that. You use a lot of fuel to go to Utah? That's what I always ask you. Burns enough to go to South America and back. South America and back. <laughs> is that right? Yeah, but I always kid him about it. I say, what are you doing up there? You doing some stunt flying or something? <laughs> <laughs> What's he say? Well, you know, he don't say nothing. He just gives him that look. You know, he's got that look. Yeah, he don't say nothing. He just gives him that look. Well, sure, he's the boss. Here, let me take a crack at this Fetzer here. Uh, Gord. Yeah, I know where it is. I'm just getting a bird's eye view here, and, uh... Oh, 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 oh. What do you think? It's the bypass line, right? I think it's the bypass line, yeah. I'm gonna need some pliers and a uh, set of 30-weight ball bearings. What? <clears throat> yeah, uh, tell you what, uh, I gotta go to my truck. Fred gets here before I'm back, you can tell him to start without me. What the hell you need ball bearings for? Oh, come on, guys. It's so simple, maybe you need a refresher course. Hey, it's all ball bearings nowadays. Now, you prepare that Fetzer valve with some uh, three-in-one oil and some gauze pads. And I'm going to need about 10 quarts of antifreeze, preferably Prestone. No. Don't make that Quaker state. Wash those windows. They've got filth muck on them. There is a tremendous amount of gook on these windows. <laughs> just checking the luggage is a great line to use in everyday life, by the way. <laughs> just checking the luggage. Just, looking at it. just checking the luggage. So he's back at the... Uh... Back at the club. Oh, hi. Where's uh, Mrs. Stanwyck? In her cabana's here. Oh, yeah. I'm supposed to meet her there. It's cabana six, right? Cabana one. One, right. You would like something to eat or drink, senor? Actually, I would. Charge it to the underhill, senor. Yeah, that's that's right. Uh, Do you have any caviar? Si, senor. Peluga. But it is $80 a portion. Well, well, then I better just take two portions of that. Uh, How's the lobster thermidor? I recommend it, senor. 
good. That'll be fine. Bring two bottles of uh, Dom Perignon to Cabana One. Very good, senor. And put down $30 for yourself, huh? Muchas gracias, senor. It's the nicest place. And he goes, this is the <laughs> nicest place. <laughs> so he knocks on the door. And we see Gail has just gotten out of the shower. Who is it? Uh, it's John. John who? It's John. John Lev. I don't remember. John Cocktoasten. Uh, hi. Hi. I was hoping you'd say that. Oh, I just got out of the shower. <laughs> yeah. Can I borrow your towel for a sec? My car just hit a water buffalo. <laughs> nice place you have here. Mm. I'm surprised to see you. What are you doing here? Uh, I ordered some lunch. You ordered it here? Well, I knew this is where my mouth would be. <laughs> I really should change. Oh, I think you should stay the same wonderful person you are today. I mean, put clothes on. So the food arrives, yeah. and there's, there's two busboys bringing it in. Right in here. It's good. Oh, it's very nice. One nice head up. Oh, thank you. I'll take care oh. of it. Give each other twenty dollars, okay? Put it on Underhill. Oh, muchas gracias. Yard del Fuego. So now Gail comes back, and apparently putting on clothes just meant uh, blow drying her hair and putting on a bathrobe. Right. Not that I'm complaining, but. <laughs> and she goes. Uh, all of this goes on the Underhills? Oh, all this goes on the Underhills, Bill. Yeah, well, I saved his life during the war. You were in the war? No, he was. I got him out. Oh. Well, I can't believe I'm doing this. This is, this is great. Let's eat. Let's eat. Quick cut to uh, the Underhills sitting at their table getting their bill. Good bill, Oh, thank you. $400 for lunch? Your guest here. What guest? We didn't have any guests here today. Two bottles of Dom Perignon, $100 a pop. Jesus H. Christ, where is he? He is with Miss Stanwyck. Where is this she? Cabana One. Jesus H. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Fletch asks Gail if he can ask her a question. Do you mind if I ask you a question? It depends on the question. Want some more champagne? Yes. Are you still in love with Alan? No. I mean, no, you can't ask me that question. Ask me another one. Why'd you let me in? Um, because I'm bored. If you're so bored, why didn't you go to Utah with Alan? Well, Utah's not exactly a cure for boredom. That's a good point. I mean, I've never even been there. I shouldn't say that. What about his parents? They live there. Oh, uh, he hasn't seen them for years, so I've never met them. They don't get along well? Mrs. Sandwick. Yes? Uh, I'm sorry to disturb you. It's Ted Underhill here. Thanks for a great time. I gotta get out of here. Wait a minute. What is this? Someone of your acquaintance has charged a $400 lunch to my account. John, you don't know the Underhills? I'd appreciate the opportunity of discussing this matter with you. I'm just out of the shower. Can you wait a minute? I just have to wee-wee. Oh, yes, of course. I, I talked about it on a, I think a different podcast. About, uh, no, on this podcast. On the Rounders podcast. Mm. About, uh, about playing asshole. And how good mm-hmm. I was at it. Well, there was one of my roommates. Um, I had a thing where if I ended up, and I did most of the time, if I ended up ahead of him in the order and I could make him do things, anytime anybody knocked on the door, he had to yell, I just have to wee-wee, every time. 
<laughs> oh. He didn't like that very much, but I sure did. Uh, you still talk to him? Not for a long time. Not for like. <laughs> I think he. Like, so I think we know why. Screw that guy! I'm never talking. <laughs> why did you do it? Well, I don't think it'd be fair for you to pay the bill. A four hundred dollar lunch tab? That's what I mean. It's outrageous, isn't it? It's way over the line. I'll cover it. Wait, you can't go out looking like that. He might spot you. Hold on. You look like you're the same size as Alan. Put this on. My suit. Just return it. Any other surprises? Yeah. My name is not John Cocktoastin. And I wasn't at your wedding. Who are you? I'm Erwin Fletcher. And I write a newspaper column under the name of Jane Doe. And it's not the food section, Gail. So? So. Your husband hired me to kill him. She sits down and he tells her, Alan told him he's dying of cancer. But that's not true, and the ranch property in Utah isn't true, and that Alan is a bad guy involved in something very bad. Mm-hmm. She says she saw the deed to the land in Utah, and this is great. He pulls out photos. You know a guy named Jim Swarthout? Yeah, Swarthout's the man who sold us the ranch. Wrong. He sold you $3,000 worth of scrub brush. No, I saw the deed. You saw a forgery. This is the real deed. See, there's Swarthout's name. Now, if this were at all legible, you'd see what I meant. Look, here's the dog that tried to bite me. Here's the motel I stayed in. There's my car. The dog tried to bite that. There's the Mormon tabernacle. Stop it. Stop. He's told me a lot of things. So far, not one of them has been true. So she says she needs to talk to her dad. Flesh tells her she can't. He goes, he knows, he knows, he knows she doesn't know him, but he needs, he has for 24 hours. And she agrees. And he goes, are you a Lakers fan? She goes, no. It's like, well, I'd like to take you to a game. Underhill's still banging on the door. And she opens it, thanks him, says she take care of it, and then slams the door in Ted's face. And she's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I'm talking about how much I'd like to take you to a Lakers game. And he goes, if you need me, call the paper. And she goes, what am I supposed to do for the next 24 hours? What am I supposed to do for the next 24 hours? Act natural. I was afraid you'd say that. Uh, Fletch goes to Boyd Aviation, but he's not there to talk to anybody. He's uh, staking out Alan's car. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Alan gets in the car. Fletch follows him. Uh, Alan stops at a gas station, and he fills three gas cans and puts them in the trunk. By the way, very obviously putting these gas cans in the trunk. You know, Tim, we need, we need, we need to see that you fill the gas cans. <laughs> And put them in the truck. We had to be very obvious for yep. the audience. Might as well have put an arrow on the screen. <laughs> Look at <laughs> this. Right. Might have a John Madden with a telestrator pointing at the gas can. Uh, then um, Alan starts driving again. He pulls over on the uh, on the road and switches cars with a cop. Mm-hmm. And just to remove all doubt, we can see that um, Carlin is in the car. Alan takes a suitcase out of the car and then gets back in his. So now Fletch goes home, and he's going to use the service entrance again. But this time he has to, the trash can is on its side. He bends down to, to turn the trash can over so he can stand on it. And he can see into the parking under the apartment building that there's a bunch of cop cars. Right. So he runs, and all the cops start following him. So he pulls up behind a kid, and um, this kid is an actor named David Harper. 
who the only thing that I could find that he'd ever done that any of us would have seen, and I didn't watch a lot of it, was uh, he was Jim Bob Walton. Ah, so, okay. Good night, Jim Bob. There you go. Um, and the kid is stealing an Alfa Romeo spider. So Fletch walks up, tells him to scoot over, and claims he's from the Smog Patrol. Afternoon, Smog Patrol. Had your emissions checked? No, sir. Fluorocarbons, ozone? No, sir. Well, let's check it out. What do you say? Hey, uh... Smells pretty good. Uh, so the cops spot him, and they've got their sirens going. And uh, Fletch says to him, I always use a little chewing gum on these rides. It filters out the pollutants. Oh, shit! Of course, you got some good grill work there. Keep out the ozone. i got to get this thing up to 95. Uh, check out the fluorocarbon output. Don't worry about the speed limit here. Uh, that's why we got the police escort. You a cop? As far as you know. Are you going to take me to jail for car theft? Did you steal the car? I sure did. Well, I'm not even sure that's a crime anymore. There's a lot of changes in the law. A lot of changes in the laws. <laughs> and as they're driving, he says he's playing a little a game of hide and seek with the guys. That's a nice little game I play with my buddies. Kind of a hide and seek kind of a thing. They <laughs> <I> love it. <laughs> Cop pulls up on a motorcycle and he's telling him to pull over. Hey, Freddie, how's the herpes? Does it hurt? Pull over! I did pull over before. I'll pull over later. So he finally pulls into a loading dock behind a building, congratulates the kid for passing the emissions test, and asks him to hold up his left arm. And then he takes the hat that he's wearing and puts it on the kid's hand so that it vaguely looks like there's somebody sitting in the driver's seat. He goes in the building, and it's a banquet hall. He grabs an empty lettuce box and uses it to hide himself as he walks through the kitchen. Uh, He finds a busboy jacket and puts that on. Then he grabs a tray. Uh, He speaks a little fake Spanish as he's going through the dining room. Right. And then he goes out into the dining room and he is just randomly taking things off of tables and putting it on his tray. And he asks one guy, he takes a coffee cup from a guy, he goes, Need more coffee? And the guy goes, Sure. And he just hands him the coffee right back. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the cops are coming in. Fletch is literally just swapping glasses of water from one diner to another, trying to make himself look busy. Right. And there's a guy on the dais who you hear the whole time, but now you see him. And uh, he's introducing their, their guest of honor. The father of internal bushings. Our very own and beloved leader, a man who needs no introduction. Thank you very much, Sammy. Thank you. Uh, I couldn't wait. Uh, it was a very nice introduction, and I am very thrilled and proud to be here today. It's been a wonderful ceremony so far. Here on behalf of our own Fred, the Dorf Dorfman. Many of you don't know that Fred was darn near death recently, and uh, he wasn't ashamed to admit to me that he'd had syphilis, and thank God he stopped in his tracks. I must tell you that it takes a lot for a man to, to admit where he got it from and how he got it. And I must say, look at him today. Fred, you look just wonderful. Uh, the nose looks normal again. The face has come back into shape. And uh, it's not drooling anymore. It's a good sign. And hats off to Marge, his wife, because that whole experience there, the two or three weeks that she stayed at Trembling Hills, has paid off. No more alcohol or sedatives in her life. But there's so many other things I want to tell you about, Fred. Things that maybe many of you already know. Sammy, you're not going to sing for us, are you? <laughs> They're showing the stage. Everyone's just very confused and looking at each other. Uh, 
But there are so many things that I want to tell you about his life, some things maybe you already know. By now, he's walked all the way up, and he literally just takes the mic off of the thing. Uh, and he goes, as uh, he grabs the mic, Sammy, you're not going to sing for us, are you? And then the best part of that is Sammy just smiles. He has this huge grin on his face. But then so does – if you look at Fred, watching the movie a thousand times, you start to look at other things. The actor playing Fred, who should be mad, is just as happy. You can basically see, hey, it's Chevy Chase. (laughs) It's like, like, Fred, you're supposed to be mad. You're not doing a very good job. Right. Uh. Did you know that Fred uh, spent a good deal of his life honoring a profession that has gone largely unsung around here? Some of those boys are here tonight. The profession, of course, is law enforcement. I know Fred feels this way, that too often our feelings are locked in feel restrained and perhaps even embarrassed to actually reach out and touch an officer of the law. After all, they are people, aren't they? So why not stand up and pat them on the back? Go ahead, reach out. Go ahead, shake hands with any one of the guys you see here, these men in blue. Hug a cop. Yeah, go ahead. I said it. Yeah, that's a wonderful feeling. And then he starts singing the Star Spangled Banner, which is a brilliant <laughs> move because they all stand up to look right. at the place. So he's blocking everybody. Yep. And then he gets them to start a nice round of hip, hip, hooray. <laughs> and then he runs out the back. So now he goes to the airport. Mm-hmm. And um, do you recognize the actress who's playing the gate? Or the, it was going to be a gate attendant because he's, he's checking on his ticket. Right, 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 right. Uh, we had a lot of things. Who is she? That would be the lovely Allison LaPlaca. Ah, nice. Who is probably best known for, God, what was the name of the show? So when Fox first started, their very first lineup ever had this like romantic comedy show, and right. she was one of the four lead characters. Right, 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 and, uh, right, right. She's a very pretty woman, and a good, pretty good actress. Duet. 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 That was the name of the show. That's it. That's it. Okay. Mr. Stanwick, you are confirmed on Pan Am Flight 441 to Rio de Janeiro tomorrow evening, 11 p.m., first class. That's terrific. Thank you. You reconfirmed this morning. You bet I did. I'm a bear for detail. I hope there's nobody sitting next to me. You see, I always travel first class, and I uh, take both seats up. I'm in bridge work, bridge uh, construction. These fold-outs take a tremendous amount of space up, and I need the space. I'm afraid there is someone sitting next to you. Oh, for God, Don, Don. <sighs> Who is it, Mr. Sinlinden? No, the name's Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh? Ah, is that Morris or Pierre? Sally Ann Cavanaugh. Sally Ann, well, terrific. In fact, you purchased the ticket for Miss Cavanaugh. Doesn't mean I want her sitting next to me, does it? I'm sorry, uh, the flight's full. She's connecting out of Provo. Oh, all right, fine. Provo, Spain? Utah. Utah. Once again, a lot of free information just given <laughs> yeah. out about the flight and the passengers and who's buying the ticket. This is not uh, this is not your TSA. One of the teams when I was the official scorer for the Snappers, um, we would amuse ourselves with stupid stuff up in the press box. And uh, one of the teams had a guy from Provo, and so the PA announcer would be like, uh, uh, "He's Provo, from Provo." When I go, "Oh, Provo, Spain?" No, you <laughs> the joke. We probably did. Uh, only amusing ourselves probably 40 times. <laughs> well, worth it every time. So now he calls 
Frank and tells him the story's in Utah. He can't go back to his apartment because the cops are after him. Frank tells him if he goes to Utah to stay in Utah and that if the story's not on his desk by 11.30, he's out of a job. Mm. Is 11.30, is that like a normal time to have a deadline met for a story? It seems like an odd time. Yeah. <laughs> and it turns out it's 11.30 on the... This must be Wednesday. We must be up to Wednesday because Thursday is the big night that the yes. murder is supposed to happen. Right, right, right. Um, so he's off to Provo. Provo, Spain. And uh, he goes to uh, goes to a, an apartment, and he uh, we see S. Kavanaugh on the uh, mailbox, and he opens it up, and sure enough, she also may have won a million dollars from Ed McMahon. Right. Um, the door's unlocked, of course. So he walks right in. He looks around. He opens the refrigerator, and it stinks. So nobody's been there in a while. Yeah. He goes upstairs to look around, and he's looking under the bed when a guy with a gun walks in. Yes. Well, first he, goes, first he calls out, Cujo. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy is either the greatest actor ever. Yeah. Or they found just some complete nitwit to play him. Either way, it works perfectly. I'm going to go with the greatest actor ever. Yeah. I love this guy. So, you know the character, you know the character's name, the character name? The caretaker. Did they give him Watch- an actual name? Watchman. Watchman, the Watchman. His name is, his name is Watchman. Watchman. Not even the Watchman. Watchman. No, just Watchman, right. Who the hell are you? Get up. I'm up. <laughs> Door was unlocked. Locks busted. Well, there you have it. I work for a landlord. Tell me to watch out for the place. Well, I commend him on his choice. What? I commend him on his choice. I was supposed to meet uh, Mrs. Cavanaugh here. Who are you? I'm uh, Don Corleone, Mrs. Cavanaugh's cousin. You know where she is? Moved out. Moved out? <laughs> That's something I, I, I just talked to her last week. She didn't say a thing about it. She moved out. So you're saying she moved out? This morning. This morning? God. Ah, we had so much to talk about. You know, Mo Green is out of the Tropicana now. My sons, uh, Mike and Fredo, are taking over. What did you want under the bed? I'm afraid I'm going to have to pull rank on you. I didn't want to have to do this. I'm with the mattress, please. There are no tags on these mattresses. I have to take you downtown. Now, give me the weapon. I'm calling the cops. This is for the cops. Come on, man, will you? I'm her cousin. Tell the cops. Okay. You want to call the cops, call the cops. You better tie your shoelaces first. Okay. Okay. You want to call the cops? Call the cops. Uh, better tie your shoelaces first. Guy looks down, and Fletch kicks him right in the balls. And uh, runs away, uh, but the guy shoots out the back window of his car uh, while he's fleeing. Right. Back to the lobby of the hotel with our favorite receptionist. Uh, he's, um, and he calls Larry. Hey, Stretch, what's happening? Got an unbelievable story here. Yeah? Great. What can I do? Write this down. Sally Ann Cavanaugh. Sally Ann Check every hotel in L.A. Start with the ones near the airport. He's supposed to leave the country with her tomorrow night. You got that, honey? I love your body, Larry. <laughs> I love her. She's <laughs> glares. Now she's watching a ball game. You're right. <laughs> I don't know who was in the ball game. 
Mm. Now he drives out to a farm where he introduces himself to uh, kind of a crotchety old guy as Harry S. Truman, who's a great man. Uh, oh, he dropped the big one. He dropped two big right. ones. Yeah, two big ones. Man, my parents are big fans of the former president. <laughs> He's a good man. He's a talking to uh, Marvin and Velma mm-hmm. uh, about their son. Yeah, he asked, if he asked a few questions about Alan's insurance, just routine questions. And they're like, sure. Just start with a couple of the routine things. Uh, you and your wife are currently alive, I take it. Uh, <laughs> Harry, if there's... That's just regulations. Now... You, Marvin, and your wife named Velma. Velma. Are the parents of one Alan Stanwick of Beverly Hills, executive vice president of Boyd Aviation. Check. Check. And when was the last time you saw Alan? Oh, uh, about 10 days ago. 10 days ago? Yeah, he comes and visits us about every three weeks. Isn't that nice? How long has he been doing that? Since he moved to L.A.? Now, you'll pardon me if I seem a bit personal here, but I don't know how to put it. We understand that there's a young lady friend here in Provo that Alan's been seeing. What's this got to do with insurance? Oh, trust me, Marvin, this is a comprehensive policy. Well, you can forget about that lady friend business. Alan's the most loving husband a girl could have. He dotes on that bride of his. Who? His wife. You met her? Well, of course we have. He brings her with him. Has Alan ever mentioned the name uh, Sally Ann Cavanaugh to you? Has he? Boy, what in the hell's the matter with you? He has them. Of course he has. That's his wife. Of course. His wife's name is Sally Ann Cavanaugh, then. I... Cute as a button. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't happen to have a picture of Alan and his bride, would you, Andy? Oh, sure. We've lots of pictures. Let me get you some. Great. Still married, are they, Alan and Sally Ann? Yes, they are. How long have they been married, Marvin? Mm, it was uh, before he moved to L.A., Eight years, April. Mm-hmm. Oh, this keeps getting heavier each year. <laughs> there, there we are. I think. There, there it is. That's the one. Oh, my goodness. She is a button, isn't she? Isn't she cute? Isn't she cute? Say, could I borrow this picture for a while? Uh, I promise to send it back. Uh, it's routine, the actuary. Oh, people. that's all right. We have lots more. Okay. Want to see the reception? No, no, thank you. I'm trying to quit. Well, well how about Marvin's 65th birthday party? Hey, how about that, Marvin? <laughs> Did you know notice who Sally Ann looks like? Who does she? She has dark hair. Yeah, remember that. Hmm. Now, this, this could not be her because I don't believe this actress was born in 1985. She looks like Katie Holmes. Oh yeah, like a lot like Katie Holmes. Right, right, right. Huh. So now he's back at uh, Cabana One, and um, Gail is holding the picture, and she's like, "Is this real?" This is Alan. Son of. I can't believe this. It's really Alan, and it's really bigamy. How long have they been married? About eight years. Who is this woman? I don't know, Gail. I think it's Alan's high school sweetheart. Her name is Sally Ann something. Alan's been keeping a lot of things secret lately. 
I'm going to call the police. I'm no. calling the police. No, yes, Gail, I am. Can't yes, do and I'm calling my father. Just give me one more day, okay? Just one more day. Why? What for? Do you have any idea how humiliating this is? Yes, I do. I really do. Remember what I told you? Tomorrow night, you have a club meeting. You stay away from the house. All right, I'll take care of him. She looks like a hooker. Look at her. Look at her. Could you love someone who looked like that? What are you talking about? Of course not. Five, ten minutes tops, maybe. It's funny. I know. Listen. Why don't we both relax and go in there and lie down and uh, I'll fill you in. It's a really good time to make a pass at me. So now we see Fletch uh, in disguise, wearing a long, flowing robe and a fake. Ironically, he's wearing like a skull cap that that gives him a receding hairline, which basically he ended up looking like eventually. Yeah. Um, And he's roller skating on the beach. Yep. Gummy sleeping on the beach, and uh, Fletch rolls up to him and kind of dives down next to him on the beach. It tells him to stay down while he talks to him. Tells him he's a newspaper reporter who's about to break a story of drugs on the beach and the Chief Carlin is the supplier and that Fat Sam is turning state's evidence and will testify that he just received the drugs and Gummy did all the selling. Right. Gummy insists he didn't sell nothing. He just <laughs> ran the drugs from the cops to Sam. Uh, Gummy also wants to know what state's evidence is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she goes, one more question. Uh, where does the chief get his drugs? And Gummy says, I don't know. And uh, Fletch says, have fun. Uh, don't bend over for the soap. And Gummy says, Fletch, okay, it's somewhere in South America. So now Fletch goes to Sam, tells him he's a reporter, and that Gummy is going to turn state's evidence, and that he's going to bust the chief. Sam says he's a slave to that son of a bitch. Carlin busted him on a third-time offense and made him do it. He doesn't get any money, just free junk. Yeah. Um, so it's, in the book... It, there's this long, elaborate um, explanation of how they would, um, the cops would grab Gummy and beat him up. They'd grab him, arrest him, so he'd have cover, beat him up, and then they would send him back with the drugs, and he would give them to Sam. And then Sam would sell them. And that's how nobody else on the beach had any idea how Sam got his drugs, so they never saw him come in or out. Right, but it was always in beating up Gummy, and I don't know how many times. Of course, I was twelve when I watched the movie the first time. I don't know how many times I watched it before I finally figured out how he got how they got the drugs to Sam. It was not it was not not terribly evident to twelve year old me. Right, go ahead. Uh, so uh, Flesh goes into the newsroom, and of course, everybody's all excited to see him again. Albert Einstein's forehead. You like it? Oh, hi, hi. I want it in a wrap. Excuse me. Oh, stay with me, will you? What's up? What's up? I'm quitting as of midnight Who are these tonight, guys? Frank. This is Fat Sam and this is Gummy. Yeah. Fellas, come with me. These are their statements. Mammy Chief Carlin is the number one drug pusher from here to Oxnard. I want them to have federal protection sponsored by the paper. Is that okay, Frank? Sit down in there anywhere. That's good. Thank you so much. That's good. This is wonderful. This is I'm out, Frank. You lost faith in me. Fletch, I got nervous. Come on. Forget it. I'm writing this story. Just hold the last two paragraphs to 10 o'clock, okay? You want an apology? You were going to can me, right? No, not really. Not really? I was upset. 
Lakers. I'm sick of this place. Ow. I'm gonna try out for the Lakers. They need a good power forward. But it's a hell of a story. Thanks. Now, about these Don't guys. worry about them. They're, they're just fine. You don't have any valuables in there. Victim organ tapes or anything? Right. And um, he's just making, you know, he's uh, Albert Einstein's forehead. Won it in a raffle. <laughs> so he introduces Frank um, to Fat Sam and Gummy. Tells him he's resigning at midnight. Uh, hands Frank both of their statements and demands federal protection for them, sponsored by the paper. Now, do we think that, that he can just do that? I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty it much that like, easy. Yeah, it was unlikely. Yeah. But Frank looks through the um, statements, and he's very excited. He says it's wonderful. And Fletch says for him to hold the last two paragraphs for that night. And then he yells at Frank for threatening to can him. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I'm sick of this place. I'm going to try out for the Lakers. They need a good power forward. <laughs> he's like, Fletch, this is a hell of a story. He's like, thanks. And then the, the Gummy and, uh, and Fat Sam have gone into Frank's office. That's right. And, uh, right. and Frank goes, now about these guys? And he looks in, and Fletch goes, eh, don't worry about them. You don't have any valuables in there, like Vicky Morgan tapes or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so now we see Fletch. He's got Alan's suit on. Right. And he climbs up the wall and goes into the, the door window thing, whatever it was, the French doors, into the house is planned. Um, he sees... Um, or he doesn't go into the doors yet. He sees a sedan that's parked and um, he opens it up. He takes the keys out um, of the glove box, checks the trunk and finds the gas cans. So he goes into the study and he sees the big cases with money in them or what he presumes is money in them. Uh, he looks around and he opens the desk to where the gun was, was for him to shoot Alan Stanley and the gun's not there. Mm-hmm. He looks up, and Alan is sitting on the railing uh, above the study, and he's dressed in a very pristine Lakers jersey, yes, sweatshirt, and cap. Fletch goes, nice outfit. Did you bring the 50 grand in tickets? Alan says, of course. Oh, you forgot your rubber gloves. (laughs) Fletch says, you're planning on killing me, aren't you? Alan points the gun at him and goes, you catch on real quick, Mr. Nugent. Well, that's a pretty hostile thing to do, don't you think? Alan says, well, you were going to kill me. And look at this as self-defense. Now, if you'd be so kind as to put your passport on my desk, you're wearing my suit. Where did you get that? And he flushed in saying, I said, where did you get my suit, Mr. Nugent? Uh-huh. And he goes, the name's Fletcher. I'm a newspaper reporter. I write a column under the name Jane Doe. And Alan's like, what the hell is this? And he hands, he's got something for him. He goes, read this. I don't have time for your nonsense. Cut the crap. Come downstairs and read this. I'm not going anywhere. So Alan comes down. Unless my people hear differently, that letter goes out at midnight. Dear Mr. Boyd, Alan Stanwick murdered me tonight. Charred remains found by the police in the Jaguar are mine, not his. Mr. Stanwick, using my name and passport, boarded Pan Am Flight 306. On arrival, he intends to establish residence. Pretty hefty. Keep reading. With his legal wife, former Sally Ann Cavanaugh. Don't stop, Alan. Uh-oh, the missus. What are you doing here? I already know most of it. I just want to hear the rest from you. 
He doesn't read my stuff very well. Let me take a crack at it. Sally Ann and Alan were married eight years ago. Never divorced, making Stamick a bigamist, even in Utah. Stamick is also traveling with $3 million in cash, the result of Gail Stamick's conversion of Boyd Aviation stock. It's true, isn't it? Sally Ann can confirm all this when the police pick her up at the airport Marriott. That's where she is, isn't it? By the way, Alan is a very big drug smuggler. But you can read all about that in tomorrow's paper. Sincerely, I am Fletcher. P.S. Have a nice day. Bravo, Mr. Fletcher. Bravo. You know what tipped it for me? It was something your wife said while we were in bed together. Oh. And what was that? Curiously, she said we had roughly the same build. From the waist up, I imagine. Then I figured it. You bumped me off, plopped me in the car, and burned me up. What the heck? Same bone structure. You son of a bitch. But I'm not a stupid son of a bitch. I was already prepared to commit one murder, ass face. What makes you think I won't commit two, huh? Whoops. Whoops? What do you mean, whoops? Don't say whoops. I mean, by the time your story's published, I'll be on the beach. And I understand extradition from South America is very complicated. I'll bet for two murders, it's even more so. That thing loaded? If you shoot me, you're liable to lose a lot of those humanitarian awards. Tough shit, hop along. Greetings, everyone. Thank God, the police. Oh, oh good, the police. Carlin tells Alan, put the gun away. He can take care of him. Mm-hmm. And Gail goes, I thought you had all this figured out. Nice going, Irwin. He goes, don't ever call me Irwin. Okay. Uh, it's very interesting how uh, um, non-concerned for most of this Gle- Fletch and Gail seem. Yeah, totally. Yeah, they don't seem all that worried. Mm. So Carlin says that when Sam and Gummy left the beach, he knew something was up. Uh Carlin and Alan argue over Alan taking off to South America and extradition, and the Carlin gave Alan $800,000 for the next load. Oh, looks like you two have a lot to talk over. We'll just catch the last 10 minutes of Dynasty. Jesus, Jerry, come on now. You're going to have to trust me. i got a foolproof way to get rid of this asshole, and you are jeopardizing everything. Your foolproof way is going to land my butt on the front page while you're basking in the sun. With your money. Carlin says his foolproof way is going to land him on the front page, and he shoots Alan. Mm-hmm. Fletch looks down and he sees the key to turn the gas on a fireplace near where they are lying so Carlin goes second one's going to be even more fun Fletch says go ahead make my day <laughs> and he takes a um, he's got a lighter in his pocket and so he throws the lighter at the fireplace and it flares up at Carlin kind of knocks him over Carlin and Fletch fight for the gun then all of a sudden Carlin gets hit in the back of the head with a tennis racket. Tennis racket. There See, we go. Those lessons finally paid off. Gail hits right. Carlin in the head with a tennis racket. Ties it all together. Now we're back in the newsroom, and Frank is complaining about Fletch's expense. They're having like a celebration party in the newsroom. Mm-hmm. And Frank is complaining about Fletch's expenses. Sure. One Bob Haldeman wig, a gorilla suit. That's a gibbon suit. Tennis shorts, leather sneakers, wristbands. It's business, Frank. Believe me, I hate tennis. What's novelty teeth? Frank, it's all business. Frank, it's all business. Mm-hmm. A nun's habit, six tubes of crazy glue. Oh, that's personal. Right, take it out of my raise. You're not getting a raise. 
Can I say, come on. I would think the uh, DA would need these tickets for evidence. I... Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Larry! In the court ruling U.S. versus Fishbein, a man subjected to potential incineration while wearing another man's suit is entitled to $10,000 worth of airline tickets. It's an obscure ruling, but a very important one to me. Why don't you just say that you want to take me to Rio with you? Well, now there's a... There's a different slant. But uh, the thing is, see, we haven't really dated formally. I always take my first dates to a Laker game. I don't want to go to a Laker game. I don't like basketball. Well, maybe that's because you don't understand basketball. You haven't been schooled in the fundamentals. The pick and roll. <laughs> Sounds like a fast food chain. Reverse stuff. Uh, that I've done. I'll bet you have, you little vixen. And then the uh, voiceover at the end is Fletch. The coroner had certified Stanwick dead or extremely sleepy. And Chief Carlin was facing 20 years in the funhouse. I decided to accompany Gail to Rio and personally assist her in her grief therapy. On the beach, I explained basketball to her, but she didn't seem to grasp it. What? Call me Irwin. (laughs) Why do they have to bounce the ball the whole time? I mean, does it seem a little childish to you? Well, it may seem that, but that's, that's called dribbling. Dribbling? If they don't keep bouncing the ball, they get called for traveling. Traveling? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what they call it when you don't bounce the ball. When it came to basketball, Gail was the boss. But we had our own version of one-on-one, and she thought I was the bravest man in the world, which, of course, I am. By the way, I charged the entire vacation of Mr. Underhill's American Express card. Want the number? And that's how we end it. Ah, so a classic. So the, um, the, the biggest differences in the book to the movie yes. were... Number one, there was an entire, uh, there was another character on the beach. It was a teenage junkie, female junkie named uh, Bobby. And Fletch and her had a, uh, an inappropriate relationship. Fletch had an apartment near the beach, so he wasn't always going back to his place. And um, Fletch and Bobby would occasionally have sex in the apartment, which uh, even in 1980-whatever, when the book was written, made uh, Fletch kind of a creep. Kind of a creepy guy, uh, yeah. So, so in the movie, you would, ex- you would expect they were just going to leave that part out, the right. part about them having sex. But in the book, Bobby overdoses and oh. dies. I guess that's what oh. happens when you overdose. Okay. And Fletch is 99% sure that the cops uh, made her over, you know, that they, it was a murder that they disguised as her accidentally overdosing. That's for the cops. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so it's it's a big part of the of like the investigation. Ah, okay. Uh, they just drop that all together. Uh, Book Fletch is a real prick. Kind of uh, sounds like it. Yeah, he yeah. does say he does say funny things, uh-huh. uh, and he has the general attitude. He is a um, he's an incredibly good investigator. Uh, and he, but he does most of his investigations over the phone. And most of his fake names and fake voices are research he does on the phone, where obviously that would make for a boring movie. It would be, yeah. So Chevy goes and puts disguises on and goes around. So he uses a lot of fake names, but he, don't, he doesn't uh, dress up. Gotcha. Um, there's no Utah in the book. Nobody's going to Utah. Nobody's doing any stunt flying. No Provo? No Provo. Um, yeah, that's basically it. The... Um, there's a bigger a bigger mystery and more of a of a thought out reveal as to how they get the drugs to Fat Sam. Um, 
And the biggest difference is that at the end of the uh, book, uh, Stanwick and Fletch are in the study, and Stanwick is trying to turn the tables on. He's going to kill him. But Chief Carlin shows up and tries to shoot Fletch through the window, but <laughs> shoots Stanwick instead. And then he just takes off. Yeah. So at the end of the book, Carlin is a fugitive in Mexico. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, and then the, the biggest difference is that Fletch takes the money and goes to oh. Rio. Oh, he does? Yes. Oh, my. So after the first Fletch book, I think it's why all of a sudden Greg McDonald, after a few, started writing books about before Fletch. Because after Fletch, in the books that come after that, Fletch is rich. Okay. Um, but he's also, well, there are books where the IRS comes after him because they figure out he's got money and they don't know how he got it because he never paid any taxes on it. Right, um, right, right. All that kind of stuff. So that, there's a, that's a major difference when you read the book. Okay. Um, okay. Um, so Fletch's Rotten Tomatoes score is 77%. Okay. So that's pretty good. That's I would good. guess that's certified fresh. I don't think so. How many stars do you think our buddy Roger Ebert gave it? Wow. Let's see. Out of four, how many right. stars did Raj give Fletch? Well, Roger was the best. And Roger is – see, this seems like the type of movie that the critics would pan, but Roger was always, like, smarter than most of the critics. So I'm going to say three. Two and a half. Okay. Uh, he said, the problem is Chase's performance tends to reduce all scenes to the same level, at least as far as he is concerned. His, okay. He projects an inflexible mask of cool detachment of ironic running commentary that we're prevented from identifying with him. Fletch needed an actor more interested in playing the character than in playing himself. That's a pretty astute observation. It's, it's astute, except Fletch in the books, Chevy actually gives Fletch more personality by being Chevy than Fletch yeah. actually has in the books. Yeah. I think that, you know what it was? I think there was a, like during that time, like, cause it was just in a lot of movies, Chevy was just Chevy. Yeah. Didn't really matter who the character was, what the script was. It's like, it's just Chevy chase. Well, that and was, one, did, that was one and of he did that that very well. Yeah. And he did that very well for a lot of good movies, vacation and Fletch and others too. So, See, and I was actually kind of when I it's funny when I've had this like long held theory. Yeah. And then I go to look it up and I realize that it doesn't chronologically work. Okay. So in my mind, Chevy's career changed when he made vacation. And all of a sudden he went from cool, suave, foul play, seems like old times, Caddyshack, Fletch Chevy, to cartoonish idiot Clark Griswold Chevy. The problem is uh, vacation comes out before. Flesh. Yeah, it predated Flash, right? Yes. So that doesn't. So maybe European vacation is the one that sends him off. Oof. But I always found obviously I like Clark. Vacation's a really good movie. I like I like Clark Griswold in that one at least. He got progressively dumber as the movies went on. Well, Christmas Vacation was great, but yeah, the other vacations were terrible. Yeah, yeah, European right. vacation is basically oh. watchable. And Vegas oh. vacation, I'm sure I saw once, and I think that was probably it. Yeah, that was probably one too many times. Um, because I loved like seems like old times is one of my all time favorite movies. I love it too, and yeah. he's amazing in it. He couldn't be better. Well, it's it's so perfectly cast between Goldie and Charles Grodin and Chevy, and even uh, Robert Guillaume. 
Yeah. I mean, there is no, there are no wasted. The guy who, the, the lady who plays Aurora, the guy who plays right. the ex-con who drives the car. I mean, it's, it's an amazing movie and everybody's great it. in it. Is this on our list? One of our lists? It's on my list. Yes. Absolutely. I don't know how I've missed mine. Okay, that was an oversight by me. But okay. Yes. So at some point we'll get to seems like old times. In fact, I, I when Charles Grodin died, I thought about doing an emergency. Oh, we should have calling a. Um, but there's a there's a Grodin tie in here. Remember we talked about. So it took it took forever to make Fletch, which yeah. is ironic because it took forever to make it. And then I'm going to go through the whole tortured thing about they've been trying to make they've been trying to reboot it forever. Right. Well, in the first, the first tr- time they tried, which predates this, the Chevy version, uh, some of the people they considered were Michael Douglas and Charles Grodin. Yeah. Grodin would have been Fletch. Okay. He would have been uh, interesting. And okay. I just don't know. Um, I don't know how that would have gone. Yeah. Different movie. Yeah. Different movie. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if he would have played him more like the. Uh, I, actually, if we had Brian Grubb on here from Uprocks, he would tell you that um, Charles Grodin Fletch would be um, Grodin's character from The Great Muppet Caper. <laughs> okay. That might actually work. Kind of that smug, a little smarter than everybody else guy. Yeah. Although he wouldn't have, to have Muppets to act off of. He'd have actual actual humans. Right. Well, yeah. He had a lot of irony. Charles, he would have brought a lot of irony to it. Yeah. I'm sure he would have been fine. Um. Here's a bit of trivia that means nothing to anybody, but uh, you remember that, um, you know, what, Carlos, we had the VHS Beta Wars. Yes. And even though Beta was a better format with a better picture, VHS won. Right. Well, then there was this similar thing between HD DVD and Blu-ray. And the only thing HD DVD had working for it was um, you could buy... Uh, like a, you could buy a not that expensive thing to hook into your, which it would have been the Xbox One. And okay. it, would, it would turn your Xbox One into an HD DVD player. Because I remember at the time thinking I should just buy that. And then I right. didn't. And then it was a good thing I didn't because HD DVD died and Blu-ray took over. The right. second to last HD DVD movie ever released was Fletch. <laughs> really? And so then it took another, after HD DVD died, it took another year before they finally came out on Blu-ray. Okay. Um, so the director, Michael Ritchie, had dinner with Gregory, Gregory McDonald, the writer of the book, during the filming of the movie. <laughs> and McDonald spent it telling him everything he was doing wrong. <laughs> okay. McDonald didn't like the changes that Berman had made in the script, and he didn't like the, the ad-libs that he saw on set. Okay. However, when he saw the final, when he saw the actual edited-together movie, McDonald told him that he thought it was a very good movie and that Chase and Richie both did a very good job. Oh, okay. There so, you go. Game so crap while they were making it. Once he saw it, he liked it. He, he had 59 million reasons to like the movie. Uh, yeah, I don't know how many, I don't, I don't know what his cut of it was, but well, I'm not, sure he not was all, very happy. Not, not all 59, no. but yeah, he, but he certainly had a, uh, the better the he had, movie, a hit, had a hit movie on his Yes, head. the better the movie did, the better Gregory McDonald did. That's right. Correct. Uh, the almost unwatchable sequel... Fletch Lives is not based on, you know, they had nine books to work from. (laughs) Fletch Lives is not based on any of them. How is that possible? I don't know. It's a unique story uh, that involves Arlie Ermey playing a televangelist. (laughs) And the one thing I remember from it, the the running joke that was actually funny was the car that Fletch drives doesn't have any brakes. 
So he constantly has to crash it into things to get it to stop. Right. That's like the one funny thing from the movie that I remember. Yeah. It's a terrible movie. <laughs> so since that movie, the return of Fletch to the big screen has been discussed and rumored many times. The closest it came to actually being made was uh, in the early 2000s. Kevin Smith had written the script for Fletch. It was based on the book Fletch 1. Now that's one of the last books that McDonald wrote, but it's set earliest. So it's the youngest version of Fletch. Okay. And I think they figured that was probably a good, a good place to spin it off. Now Miramax yes. owned the rights, they still do, to um, the Fletch IP and our good buddy Harvey Weinstein. Right. Uh, wanted to make a, it was going to be the first movie series that Miramax ever made. The whole idea was to plow their way through some of the books and make multiple movies. It would be their Star Wars. Yep. Yep. Now, Smith wanted Jason Lee to be Fletch. Okay. And I could see that. I think Jason Lee would have been a funny, would have been a good Fletch. Yeah. Um, Harvey was not going for that. He wanted a star. So do you know who Harvey wanted? Okay. What, what year again are we talking about? Like 1999. 1999. Think of Miramax, 1999. Right. Young, uh, smart ass. Uh, he, he would have been a fine Fletch had they actually made the movie. Who would it have been? Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. There you go. Yeah. So, ironically... Scheduling difficulties prevented Smith from launching the franchise when they were supposed to. He was making the movie Dogma. Okay. Ben Affleck is in it. <laughs> He's in yes. So they couldn't they uh, they couldn't get it they couldn't get it made. Um, so then, um, with further scheduling difficulties, they considered Brad Pitt as Fletch okay. and Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon. Could you imagine how shitty those movies would have been? Wow. So then, somewhat against Kevin's wishes, Zach Braff was finally cast in the role. Okay. He was going to be Fletch. But Smith finally, in 2005, this took six years of Uh them not making this movie. Finally, Smith's like, I'm done. And Bill Lawrence, who created Scrubs and Cougar Town and other stuff, um, who was a huge fan of the books, had been reading them since he was a kid, and okay. he relished the idea that he was going to be the one who was going to put this series of movies together. And he inherited right. Zach Braff, but he was perfectly happy because he had cast him in Scrubs. Right. Um, and he worked on it for a long time, and then he left the project. <laughs> Didn't happen. Gregory McDonald died in 2008. And a guy named David List, who was the representative of his estate, produced a script that McDonald had written. And Miramax decided it was good, and they were going to make the movie with Jason Sudeikis. Oh, Ted Lasso. Yep. And and, uh, they shopped it around, and Relativity Studios was going to make the movie. Okay. And they went bankrupt. (laughs) So no movie. Kids, the lesson is it is hard to get a movie made in Hollywood. It yep. seems easy. It seems easy. It's very difficult. So, this is 2021, right? Uh, is that the year it, that it is? Yeah, I think so. Miramax has on their slate of movies to film in 2021. 
Go ahead. The movie Confess Fletch, which <laughs> is the movie that comes, which is the book that chronologically comes right after Fletch. Okay. Do you know who Fletch is supposed to be? What actor? Who's playing Fletch? Who's playing Fletch? So they basically have gone with a guy who is, it's an older Fletch, not an old Fletch, but, you know. he, he w- A middle-aged Fletch? 40s. 40s Fletch. He's a big star. No more for a very iconic TV show, but he's been in movies. Let's say, let's say, I'm sure this is wrong. Well, let's say George Clooney. John Hamm. Joe, John Hamm. I wasn't that far off. So John okay. Hamm would be Fletch, and it's directed by Greg Matola, who directed Wedding Crashers. Okay. They're supposedly going to start filming it this year, and I'm okay. not going to hold my breath. <laughs> nice. Okay, so who would you be in the movie Fletch? I'm going to go with... Um... I'm gonna go with Lloyd, the uh, the uh, the airline mechanic. <laughs> I'm flying up there, that guy. <laughs> I was gonna say I was gonna be Chief Carlin, but I'm not me. I'm not. I'm not scary enough. Joe Don Baker was great as Chief Carlin, yeah, so we're gonna yeah. that. we're gonna keep uh, we're gonna keep him there. Um, I think I would I would play. Oh, I, I can't because I know who I want to cast as as this guy. Um, uh, so I'll be I'll be. Uh, I want to be Arnold T. Pants. You, <laughs> all right. Pants. You could be Gus. All right. So who do you think Arnold should be, who do you think should be Trey Wilson? Because I have a perfect guy to, for Trey. Well, I, I think you just mentioned him. I, th- I think Chief Carlin. I was going to have him be Mr. Underhill. Oh, Mr. Underhill would be good, too. Yeah. Because yes, I think yeah. the, the, the fit he could throw on yeah, Gale's stoop, right. we would give it a lot more time. And he could he'd be also, Mr. Underhill. He'd also been a good... As I think I would have too, but he'd also be a good newspaper editor. Yeah, that's right. He'd be a good Frank, yeah. and he would be especially good if they if you based Frank on Book Frank. Okay, Book Frank is a real prick, and <laughs> um, you know, sleeping with having an having an affair that everybody in the newsroom knows about with one of the uh, with, a, with a with a what is she? I guess she's a columnist. There's a whole running joke about how she used to be the. The cooking columnist, but uh, too many people got sick, <laughs> so they had to promote her. So she's like in charge of that. She did, she does like the state government or whatever. Okay, I think that's it. That's it. All right, do we uh, do we spin the wheel? It is time to spin the wheel. We, it's a it's more of we're flipping a coin more okay. than we're spinning a wheel because we're down to two. Oh my! What are the two? They are Young Frankenstein. And good friends. Well, my, here we go. So there are no losers here. There weren't any losers on our. Uh, no, no. Two very list. different, very different movies, though. Here we go. Okay. Is it gonna be red or blue? <laughs> oh, oh, it's oh. Oh my! It's good, fellas. The audience is going crazy. All right. All right. So we know the the two the next two movies. So the next one will be Goodfellas, and then after that, will be Young Frankenstein. Oh, we've got some work to do. Very good. Yes. Excellent. All right. Excellent. Nice. So people can stay tuned for that. Stay um, tuned. Buy your Manscaped stuff. Right. Use the code Dive for twenty percent off. Right. That's right. For twenty percent uh, off and worldwide shipping. There you for go. For all of your uh, manly grooming needs. And I don't know if they want me telling people this, but honestly, uh, even if the clipper is just a really nice clipper. 
So if you decide to shave other things instead of your balls with it, <laughs> it's a high-quality trimmer, uh, reasonably priced for what you get. Um, no, no judgment. Shave whatever you want. And apparently the uh, they're going to send us some uh, lotions and creams that you can rub on your whatever, but you could also use that uh, on other parts of your body if you don't want to put it on your sack. So this that's the dirty sounds- little secret that I'm going to giving people who made it to the end of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> These are just nice grooming products. You yes. don't have to put them on your scrotum unless you really want to. Right. This 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 this, this went downhill fast. It did. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Mike. All right. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Many of us have herpes. 